Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com Always stay. I call it the three eyes. Inquiry, investigation, indictment. So you never accuse anybody of doing anything because once you make one accusation, that means you have the burden of proof is on you. And uh, that's why I kind of wish that I'd talked to you before you ever wrote anything. Because you don't want to do a whole lot of writing. That's to start with. I mean, you just want to write just a couple of paragraphs, and this is for the future, too, where you ask for an inquiry. I mean, uh, rather, an investigation. You are making the inquiry. You're saying someone needs to look into this in order to straighten it out. And you do that without making any accusations. That makes put somebody else in position to have to make the investigation. If you have to make the investigation yourself, that means you have to do all the work, heavy lifting. That's in any instance. So you, once you make an accusation, you've got to prove everything that you say. And there's nobody to prove it by. That's where the difficulty comes in. There's absolutely nobody who's going to be on your side. So when you run around trying to find out, trying to get somebody to back you up in proving your accusations, it's most likely not going to happen. So you you just ask for an inquiry. You say, these are the circumstances. You, you can just list them, bullet points or whatever. And then you say, I hereby ask for an inquiry slash investigation or something like that into the entire matter uh, on the basis of the 5th and 14th Amendment to the Constitution. That's the way you go. You go the constitutional route. That way, I mean, lawyers got something to work with because lawyers always deal with law. They don't deal with who said what, he said, I said. They don't like any of that at all. They don't even like, they don't hardly even look at nothing like that. 
when they get into the details. They, you know, they just like to work from was a law broken of any kind, and they always go that route. But everything that I'm telling you now is hindsight. I mean, uh, so, but if you're going to do any kind of repair job or get back on that job, that would be the way to go. And I would address whatever letter I would make out now to the Attorney General's office of the state that you're in, you know, and just say that you have reason to believe that the 5th and 14th Amendment to the Constitution may have been violated. Meaning what? Due process. Did you go about, 5th Amendment means did you go about doing it the correct way? And 14th means equal protection of the law. Did the way the way that you were treated was that the way that everybody else was treated? But you were just asking for an investigation to find out if that was so. See, and it just takes us, you know, a couple of lines to do that. But you mentioned the Constitution. The reason I say always mention the Constitution of the United States in anything that you write, because then they can go. You know, some cases have gone away. It's not likely to happen. But it can go all the way to the Supreme Court eventually. If you mention Constitution, you have reason to believe constitutional law was violated. That's the United States Constitution. That covers everybody, everywhere, at all times. Uh, they always try to have you write something where you just, you know, he said, I said, I don't think they like me uh, over in Section B or whatever, you know. And I think it might be racism involved. Uh, when you write like that, they they in this day and time they don't nothing usually happens. But if you go straight to the juggler, straight to the Constitution of the United States, which means, hey, everybody has sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States. I mean, even if you haven't done it, I mean, you have an obligation to do so. And so lawyers like that kind of talk. I mean, or, or even administrators, if you go, because you're just asking for two things. An inquiry, uh, you know, in other words, was a law of any kind, some written law or common law, somehow violated? Because if it was, and it was done deliberately, that's a violation of the United States Constitution, which everybody has sworn to uphold. And that's what I've been telling people for years. I've run a few trials on it. Some of them have worked. Some of them haven't, simply because of the way that they were handled and the people who were involved in it. But it's the best, and the really, in this day and time, with the Obama effect, the only thing that you have. See, I call it the Obama effect because there's a whole lot of white people out here now who are very dissatisfied with Obama ever be, even becoming president, but they don't talk about it every day. Most of them don't talk about it at all. But they think, feel, uh, look at it like their whole world is beginning to crumble. And they're taking it out on whatever black person happens to be in any kind of position around them. 
they're saying, well, these black people are not going to be getting nothing out of me, no kind of way. I don't care who it is. All these black people, this all gloves off now. That, you know, they're not coming in here and get a job or, or do anything or tell me what to do about anything and or make more money than me. No way that's going to happen. So a lot of black people are not aware of this. Black people are just thinking, well, hey, I... I'm, I'm entitled to it. I mean, I married it and all. No, this is all our gloves off stuff now. But if you mention racism, there's no way that you can prove it nowadays because you're going to have to prove it by somebody who most likely is a racist. No black person can back you up. That's number one. You've got to remember that. In any racial issue, there's no black person who can actually prove the existence of racism, a black person can help you out. But that black person that you're talking to or that committee of black people, they're going to have to be okayed by somebody who's white. That's just the way the system works. No black person or no group of black people can prove the existence of racism. Can't be done. Not to my knowledge. You always have to have at least one white person who says, yes, I'll sign off on this. That's the setup now. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, June 9th, 2016. So I have been told this is our weekly forum on workplace racism uh, we encourage listeners to dial in share your thoughts observations problems triumphs uh, with dealing with white supremacy racism on the job this session specifically i said it last week we didn't uh broadcast um we did have other broadcasts after the thursday program but i thought we were going to be on between now and uh, last saturday we were not so i didn't get a chance to remind folks uh, but I did put it on the Facebook page uh, a couple times, actually. Um, last Thursday, when we did our workplace racism session, I requested that people go through their policy and procedure and pick out one bit, one rule, one regulation uh, that is significant, profound for whatever reason, whether it stood out just because you didn't know this before or if you think this is a, a tricky kind of way. Uh, that racism can be practiced on the job. Just bring in one rule and regulation from the job. I hope folks uh, remembered so we can cover that as well. But workplace racism for folks who would like to dial in, share their, uh, as I said, observations, experiences, problems, triumphs, feel free. The number is 641-715-3640. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Again, uh, and particularly for the folks who say that, you know, you have figured things out. You don't have these type of problems on your job uh, with getting write-ups or demotions or anything like that. You don't have any problems with other non-white coworkers. White people leave you alone on your job. You get all uh, of your pay increases on time. Everything is working out great. Hey, you should definitely, you should be on speed dial to chime in and give us some tips, strategies, codifications, uh, things that are working for you to put you in this wonderful position because the rest of us would like to be in that spot as well. 
The address or the number again is 641-715-3640 and the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. I'll give out the number a few more times as we roll. Again, this is workplace racism, so dial right in. This is not uh, Gus talking to anybody else. This is uh, listeners sharing their experiences, observations, what have you. Dial in. Press star six. We'll get you on the line. The audio clip that you heard at the beginning of the program, that was from Neely Fuller Jr., uh, his visit to the cows uh, back in 2012. Uh, I wish uh, the date is actually on that one. Uh, and I think if you uh, look in the original archives, it is also time stamped, which is significant for me uh, because that program took place August 12th, uh, 2012. Uh, it stood out, one, because I went on vacation like literally minutes after that program concluded. As soon as it ended, bam, <laughs> we were off and on vacation for a few days, which was nice. Uh, it also stood out because uh, B. Moore was having some difficulties, longtime listener investor in the program. Uh, with workplace racism, so we called to get some of Mr. Puller, uh, Mr. Fuller's input on how to deal with that situation, and that was him kind of addressing some of her concerns. Uh, it also stood out because that was live at 7 a.m. that morning, and I've said consistently I'm not a morning person, uh, but we had talked about it. That was actually a Sunday. We had talked about that problem on the compensatory call-in the night before and followed up with Mr. Fuller immediately uh, the next morning, 7 a.m. Uh, we dialed him, and he went right to work addressing uh, her concerns. Uh, the, only, the only thing that makes me smile is that that was during the Olympics. That was four years ago. It was during the Olympics, so while we were broadcasting it, the crack of dawn, literally, um, the gold medal game between the USA, uh, the U.S. basketball team and Spain was on like simultaneous with the time that we were broadcasting. So as grumpy and surly as I was about being uh, awake uh, and trying to do something constructive, which I think it was, I think Bmore said she got some constructive results from some of the things you heard from Mr. Fuller, uh, that I was in front of a television. So I was able to see some of the uh, gold medal game between the U.S. team and the Spanish team as we are approaching what's going to go down in Brazil this summer, Zika virus or no. Anyway, workplace racism. A couple folks wrote in uh, commentary that they wanted to share pertaining to workplace racism. Uh, I will share and then we'll get right to the phone lines. Uh, comment number one, uh, black male listener. I went on a job. I went on an interview today. I knew I had the job based on the racist comments and questions asked to me by the second interviewer. Uh, it is a office clerical position, and the white lady I met with first was very professional with her interviewing. She asked about my prior experience. She explained the position, and then I sold myself to her as per how my prior experiences fit exactly to the job description and duties. It went well. I could tell she was impressed by me. Then she wanted me to meet her boss, a white man. He looked at me like I was a slave. Kunta, about to be bought or sold. He had a look that white people of admiration and intrigue that they only give to black people and wild exotic animals, Harambe. This is an administrative service job, clerical and office work. However, his entire interview was about how big I am, how tall I am, 
if he can guess how much I can lift if I ever played sports, what size are my feet? He compared his hand size to mine, how many kids I have fathered, if I could pick him up, etc. It ended with him saying he would station me right outside his door and have me follow him around as his personal security. Well, at that point, I knew I was going to get hired, although I feel like I got drafted. I got a call from the agency saying the company wants me to start Thursday. Hmm. That is number one. Number two. A person says they have a question for Cal's listeners. If you attended a predominantly white university or college, are you a member, paying member, of the Alumni Association? If so, has being a member of your Alumni Association benefited you in any way? Have you benefited from the network of having attended your university or college? For example, uh, you received a call from the hiring manager at a company because the hiring manager graduated from the same university or college you attended. Do you think non-white people, especially black people, should become paying members of their alumni association? Why or why not? Open question, if folks would like to respond. Uh, She also has workplace racism entries specifically. Uh, I would like to share the workplace journal below. I started when white people gave the opportunity to work at my alma mater in the summer of 2014. This was a good opportunity for me because this type of position I'd be working towards. uh, This is the type of position I'd been working towards and it was at my alma mater. I thought I would do whatever it took to stay in the position as long as I could and decided to journal interesting, uh, interesting and or situations that made me feel some type of way in the workplace as recommended on the cows and in How to Support and Defend the Constitution of the United States, written by Mr. Edward Williams, who's been on the program before. I only maintained the journal for about the first month or so on the job. I stayed at the job much longer. Unfortunately, I decided to leave the position after a relatively short period of time because the immediate workplace environment was so toxic. From the day I started the job until the day I left, I literally slept from the time I got home from work until the next morning because of stress I barely ate I woke up each day with so much nervousness my lower back would be in knots throughout the day I sort of knew and learned my predecessor was a white male and I figured I would be thrown a lot of shade consistently because of it it was so draining to to deal with the shade day in and day out In hindsight, I really failed to stay up on my usual self-care routine, primarily fitness and nutrition, and my body paid the price. Wow. Uh, So we'll share an anecdote or two uh, from her journal. So this is week one. First day at work, my direct supervisor, a white male, told my predecessor, a white male, told me my predecessor, a white male in my position, did not have the manual, a manual that includes the job duties, tasks, and instructions on how to perform certain duties, tasks that I have that she put together to do my job. My supervisor has no knowledge of the technical duties associated with the job. Although I did not ask for clarification, I interpreted this as if there should be no excuses if I am not able to do for my job. 
from what I've gathered and researched about when my predecessor started in this position, there was a person who was in the position before him, and he therefore had direct access to someone who could train him at least for one day on the general duties and tasks for the position. I later learned that my predecessor did receive training from the software vendor. I went with our division head, a black male, and my direct supervisor to view a facility for a project. While there, I met the three facility directors, a black female, a white female, and a white male. When I met them, the black female facility director asked me where I'm from because of my name, surname. She asked me several times because it took me a while to understand what she was really asking. I told her I'm Ghanaian and Liberian. She said, knew it. One more, this is a different date. I overheard our white female office coordinator make a direct comment to the campus IT person, a black male, that was setting up my computer to stay. Although I did not ask her directly for clarification, it seemed as if she was suggesting that she should be, that he should be in or have the position that I have. I am, I am the division IT person. In the afternoon, my supervisor introduced me to two persons that worked for the physical plant that came by my office. One person was a white female and the other was a white male. Immediately after my supervisor introduced me to the white male, he gave her a look like, are you serious? You all hired her? She cannot do this job. My supervisor pointed to the manual, a manual that includes the job duties, tasks, and instructions on how to perform certain duties, tasks, and said she'll be fine. She's still living out of a suitcase. I relocated for this job and was living in campus housing until I found a place. Uh, she has many more incidents of tackiness, trashiness that went on uh, at the job. Um, in fact, I'll give you a last one. Just throw this one in for uh, extra info. Uh, three white female office workers and the division secretary were standing in the area in front of my office. One of the office workers begins to tell us about how the division secretary called her a pig when she was getting a piece of cake in the break area. The white female office worker told us she called the division secretary a B word. The division secretary said she told my supervisor they seemed to be joking, but I don't know. During a work-related event in the cafeteria on campus, I approached the black female departmental coordinator around noon to chat with her. I asked her about how long she's worked at, uh, at her studies and how long she, was, she has worn her natural hair. I shared with her how our supervisor asked me if they would ever see me with my hair straight exactly a week to the date. Natural hair coming up again, which it seems to on a regular basis for black females uh, who are no longer chemically mutilating their hair. That does seem to be something that white people on the job pick up on immediately and are either asking questions or have to comment about or somehow becomes a really, really important part of the job, which should have nothing to do with what we're supposed to be doing. But that is the system that we are in. Uh, we'll get to the folks who dialed in uh, live callers. As I said, if you have picked out 
a piece of uh, just one procedure or rule regulation from your policy procedure manual definitely would like to hear that and it should be something that as I said stands out either as this is a means that white people can practice racism because the rule is vague uh, or it allows for discretion uh, or something that you didn't know it can just be something that hey I didn't even know this about my job and this is a pretty uh, important rule this is or if it's a rule where you see that there's flagrant disregard that this is a piece of policy uh, for my respective employer but they don't enforce this rule or regulation at all. I see people break this rule all the time and nothing is done. Feel free to chime in. The number again, 641-715-3640. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Everyone who dialed in with a hand up should be with us. Uh, Feel free to chime in. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi, good evening to the host, good evening to the listeners and the callers. Um, I wanted to share um, two stories, two quick stories, but I also wanted to answer the request. Um, the, The listener who just wrote in, she asked the question about joining the Alumni Association, am I correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, she was able to get her job without um, signing up to the Alumni Association, so no, I wouldn't recommend it, especially if you have gone to a particular college. I think it's any college. It doesn't necessarily have to be a university. They will usually have a career um, website where once you apply to any particular position, um, they'll know that you're applying as an alumni from your college or university. And then I'm sure, too, when you um, write your cover letter and also when you write your resume, you include that you graduated from such and such school. So I don't think it would be a good idea. Um, Two stories. They have some counter-racist solutions included in them. If I, I just um, wanted to hop I mean, in I just wanted to hop in really quick before you get to your stories. Just did you have a, a why? Uh, any any cons to being a member of the alumni association? Um not necessarily. Um, I was just thinking about the money because if you join the alumni association, um, I think what will eventually happen is that they're gonna start to solicit you for donations for scholarships, donations for various things. And at that point, you really don't know where the money is going. Even if they are saying that it's going to go to this specific cause, you really don't know where the money is going to be dispersed to. So I think that will be the con. Legit. That's legit. Um, okay, so I'll go on with my story really quick. And they do contain some counter-racist strategies in it. I used to be employed at a teaching hospital, and I worked in the president's office. I was an assistant there to everyone that worked in the office, which included the president, the chief operating officer, the president's assistant, and the executive assistant to the chief operating officer. The chief operating officer and the president were both black. One was a black female. The president was a black male. Um, His assistant happened to be a white female. And the executive assistant to the chief operating officer, she happened to be a black female. So um, 
on several occasions I observed a young black female doctor come in to request appointments to see the president. And so she had always been told by the president's assistant, who was a fat white female, that, oh, well, the president is busy. Oh, if you want to get the appointment, you know, come and just drop by and come and see me, and I'll just try to make it happen. And I noticed, I kept observing that she kept stopping by, and she was actually referred by another doctor who happened to be black. And he's a pretty well-known doctor. He's been around for a really long time. He actually used to write an article, in um, a weekly article in, I think, the Daily News. Anyway, so this doctor had referred her to meet with the president. And so I know I just observed her coming into the office all the time. And so one day I was by the copy machine. And I just called to her attention. I said, doctor, can I speak to you for a second? And she looked at me very quizzically. So I said to her, what I, what I would suggest that you do is email her your request. Instead of stopping by the office and verbally telling her, email her your request. CC the president, CC the referring doctor, and make sure when you send this email, refer to the fact that you have been stopping by requesting appointments, um, and if you can remember the amount of times that, you, that you've come down to the office to request appointments, detail that, and also detail that you stopped by today and what time, and you requested an appointment. And so the quizzical look turned to a wide-eyed look of appreciation. So um, if any, the counter-racist solution in that is if us as victims can just inform each other, just to remind each other that, you know what, make a documentation of it instead of verbally communicating with white people about the things that we need or the things that we want, document it in emails. The second um, counter-racist um, solution, I guess, but story, a young black female who actually was a PhD student she came down to the office, and she wanted to speak to the president. So she had a natural hairstyle that was curly. So she was like, you know, I really appreciate the fact that the doctor had um, given me so much of his time, and I just wanted to send him an email or just meet with him for five minutes just to express my appreciation to him because this is her words verbatim. It's so great that he's a black male and he's looking out for another black person. We don't have that. And so she was talking loud, not really loud, but the volume of her voice um, was so that this white woman in her office could hear her. So what I did was she was, I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave a message, wink, wink, and I did wink at her, So I'm going to leave a message for his assistant to contact you. But while I was doing that, I was writing down the doctor's email. So I said, I mouthed to her, I said, listen, you did not get this from me, but what you can do, I gave her the doctor's number and I gave her the doctor's email. So what you can do is email the doctor. I said, but, and I said loudly, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass his information, your information on to his assistant, and then that way she can coordinate a meeting for you two. So she looked at me wide-eyed once again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So when she left the office, 
I reported to this white woman, his assistant. I said, well, you know, this lady, a student, she stopped by. She wanted to just have five minutes with the doctor just to, you know, thank him, show her appreciation. She said, oh, is it that crazy lady? And I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about. I, I really don't know. I just know that it was a student. And she just wanted to show her appreciation. She wanted to meet with the doctor just to really thank him. Oh, you know, they just have so many crazy people. And one of the things that I've observed is that when it comes to black women dropping by the office, trying to make an appointment, whether they're students, whether they're colleagues, whether they're outside um, entities, meaning they're politicians, that have actually come to meet with him because the training academy is actually a state university. So he definitely has to meet with politicians and political people. And so these are things that I've heard, these are things that I've observed, that when it comes to black women, she brushes them off. Like she doesn't take them seriously and she never communicates to the doctor, the president, that these people are trying to get in contact with him. And she actually told me, my job is to protect him from the crazies. So much so, she's been protecting him that the man has, his contract hadn't been renewed. So everybody talks about the great job that he did, how he had actually saved the school because they wanted to close the hospital down and he actually saved the hospital. However, because of this woman and... White women are such saboteurs, from my observation, that um, they didn't want to renew his contract. So that's it. Thank you for listening. Fascinating. Wow. Wow. That great suggestions about the uh, email, direct contact, anytime that you can uh, figure out a means to avoid having to go through some white person who is deliberately stymieing efforts for constructive contact communication are you just getting things done on the job outstanding uh, outstanding uh, recommendations in both cases just in ways of uh, sharing information with other black people on the job natural hair came up again right uh, right on cue hmm. uh, if folks had uh, questions uh, or comments about what they just heard from our female caller anything you wanted to share or add uh, on that outstanding uh, recommendations though about the emails uh, feel free if you do not have questions about that specifically or if you just want to share uh, your own incidents uh, feel free to chime in I had something to add to that can I be heard? yes sir yeah um very interesting in the way she described that white assistant. You know, I mean, I could imagine how she treats black females, seeing that she has to take orders from a black man all day. It's almost like, oh, man, you think I'm going to take orders from the female too, you know? And I could kind of think that might be the reason why she is, um, she's not helping these black women. I'll be with my wife. Another thing that I had observed is that, um, as I mentioned before, the president and the chief operating officer also worked in the same office, and she happened to be a black female. I observed that the chief operating officer had to tell her more than one time not to do something. For example, 
she needed her printer ink changed. And I had mentioned it to the white woman because she was the first person in the office. I didn't know where the printer ink was for her printer. If I knew, I would have done it myself. But since I didn't know, I had to actually consort with the white woman. And so while the black female chief operating officer was at her computer at this time, typing, doing work, she goes around this woman's desk. Now, I'm not going around this woman's desk. I respect her. She didn't tell me to come behind her desk. I see that she's busy at work. I'm going to stay in front of her desk. So she asked her, can you please not come this way if you're going to put, if you're going to replace the printer in? Can you please not come this way? She's still standing there. She's like, come, come, come this way. And I'm looking, I'm like, uh, I'm going to stand right where I'm standing, just looking at her. She asked her, please, can you not, can you remove yourself from it? She acts in a very kind manner. Can you please remove yourself from here? Because if I push my chair back, I don't want to hit you. So she's still standing there behind this woman's desk where she can actually see what this woman is typing up on her computer. This woman had to ask her four times before she actually moved from behind her desk. And to tell you the truth, from, the, from where she was positioned, there was no way that she would have been able to, number one, obtain this woman's printer ink, and number two, change the printer ink. So this woman, I've noticed that when it comes to this black female, who is also her boss, she doesn't know how to take, like you mentioned before, she really doesn't know how to take instruction from her. And I've seen the woman consistently, numerous times, have to repeat herself. Yeah, I think that that qualifies it, man. She feels like she don't, you know, I got to take orders from this black man, the president, you know. But I'm not taking orders from no black woman, too. I don't care what position they got. I'm I'm going to show them that I'm the real person in power. And, you know, I'm the white person. And, um, man, I could just imagine what Michelle goes through in the White House. I mean, I bet they do that to her all day. Other people have comments on what we just heard, the uh, commentary we just heard from the female caller, or if you had your own uh, situations you wanted to discuss, feel free. Yes, sir. Oh, yes. Uh, greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, like I was thinking about, well, I don't know if this is exactly a policy or maybe it is. It's like uh, some kind of code of conduct. That was in one of our uh, monthly updates for, uh, I guess, accolades or milestones around the office. And I'm trying to remember what it said, but I'm thinking in my head it was a certain sentence where it said uh, to uh, treat everybody uh, with courtesy and kindness. And it was an interesting part in the sentence where it says, uh, use your words carefully and uh, what you say with your body language without words. 
that that's what it had said in the sentence and I had I had printed it out uh and I highlighted it. It said body language without words, so that was interesting. And the it was quoted from uh one of the uh, white female uh, supervisors. So um yeah, that was a, a interesting observation as far as uh, policies are concerned and um there, there was uh, a, another incident or an observation that I had where I was in an office uh, talking to a black female, and it was only me, her, and a, a white female in the office. So I guess the white female was getting hungry or whatever. <laughs> and she she asked uh, that other black female, she says, hey, um, uh, miss, she says her name or whatever. Is that is that cracker offer still up? <laughs> and then she says, huh? And then the uh, the white female says it again. Is that cracker offer still up? So she gets up, and you know those cheeses, those cheeses snacks. So she gets up and goes to get some from her, and uh, she says that came out wrong. <laughs> and I'm thinking in my head, I already see, I already know how she's thinking because she, this is the same person that started with the microwaves, you know. You know, like uh, whether a microwave is white or black, like you know, or I think she was thinking that way because there was two other uh, non-white black people in the room. So I don't know if her mindset would have been that same way if she was talking to uh, two other white people. And uh, I'm gonna just leave it at those two. I had some other ones, but I I can let some other people get in. So. those are the ones that I have right now. Wow. Wow. Oh. Uh, somebody might be on speakerphone. Oh, I don't hear you now. Great. Just, oh, it is back. I hear it. If you're on speakerphone, make sure you're not on speakerphone. Or if you have the if you have the program playing maybe in the background on a uh, different device or computer or something of that nature just turn the volume down because it uh, we pick up that so it ends up just echoing and being a lot of distortion on the line um, see if we got it corrected should have it corrected outstanding oh nope still here is that better is that better good oh that's not uh it sounds like i can oh that might be better that might be better yes that is better sir okay can 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 you hear me pretty yes, well yes sir Okay. Uh, good evening. Good evening, Gus. Uh, good evening to all the callers and uh, listeners. Um, uh, observation, um, when she was speaking, um, I kind of caught it in and out, but when she was speaking about the um, about the uh, other black woman sitting in her, her office space or, or in that, uh, that area, and, um, you know, they have to pass by there to, to print it and stuff like that, and how the uh, the white woman was uh, suspected racist was, was uh, kind of invading that space. And I noticed that even at my, at my job, I noticed at the beginning, like, you know, my manager, pretty much everybody, I'm a detail, detail card, so pretty much everybody out there is black because we already knew it, those of us that worked there, but the rest of them, uh, the manager and the rest of them kind of find out that nobody else can really take that work in this heat. I'm in South Florida. So everybody's black. All the workers are black. So the management is, is, is white, pretty much. So um, the uh, manager, uh, he comes 
I noticed he, he likes to invade space. And at first, you know, I didn't I didn't uh, pick up on it as something being disrespectful. I just thought he was just one of those type of people that, you know, like to be up close up on you when they talk and stuff like that, you know, like tell jokes and stuff like that. But as it happened the third and fourth time, I realized what it was, that it was it's kind of an assurance of dominance in my eyes that I can invade your space at any time I want to. I can tell any, any kind of, uh, you know, corny, lame jokes and, you know, kind of got to laugh and stuff like that. So after, after the fourth time, I, I let them know <clears throat> that, you know, you kind of invaded my space, you know. Furthermore, I've been I've been in prison. You know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm one of them type of people, kind of edgy when people behind me and stuff. So, um, you know, I let him know that kind of in a respectful way, but a certain. So he ended up doing it again, and I turned around and I, I, I like elbowed him. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, whoa, whoa, you know what was that for? And I was like, you, you too close, you too close to me. And then I took that opportunity to just explain to him like, <clears throat> you don't understand that. By you being that close or by you telling these jokes and you, like, holding eye contact with me in, at a close range and, and smiling, like, in, uh, um, kind of in, insisting for me to laugh and, and play back along with you, I, I said, I'm, I'm not on that. I'm not with that. That's, that is a, a, a you trying to make me feel like I'm, I already know I'm below you because you're a supervisor, you're a manager. I'm entry level. I already know that. But by you, you doing that, you making me feel like cowardly. And he kind of understood it, kind of did, and I didn't want to go into, you know, to, to me it's, a mecha, it's another mechanism of uh, racism, white supremacy. I didn't really go into that, but I, I just let him know, you know what I mean? And, and, and when she was explaining that, it took me right back to that. And I realized that that's something that they do, whether it's on the job or whether it's just in everyday life. If they feel like they're close, close speaking of, speaking when I say they, I'm speaking of uh, suspected races or known races, and they feel like they can get a, uh, uh, they feel like they don't have you into the fold. If they, excuse me, that's a metaphor. They feel like if, if you're not a part of what they have going on, whether it's a joke or whether it's some line of work or whatever, that you're you're not a part of their group, that you're potentially a, uh, you're potentially a, a, a negative to them, and that they must get rid of you so i i and I, I i understand it i understand it completely but i just i notice it and I, it comes from to me it comes from being scared because they know one day you know more and more more and more of us that wake up and understand what's going on that <laughs> they have an inherent fear genetic fear that you know every every black man is suspect at any given time to blow up so I just wanted to give my observations and, and kind of give um, one of my experiences. And uh, I'll mute my line on that. Thank you. Greetings. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. I think the last caller made some great points uh, from a, uh, a tactical standpoint and also from a, especially from a observant standpoint. Uh, uh, about the proximity that uh, his uh, abusive white person uh, had on him by closing the closing the space uh, to almost like a threatening uh, distance. Uh, 
the the uh, recent movie that was on Lyndon Baines Johnson, and I've heard this before about him, uh, that he did that consistently to people. And really what it's designed to do is just like he said, it's designed to intimidate that person uh, to bring a level of uh, I'm better than you, just like he said. And uh, so it's ironic that, that uh, he was able to observe that. And they said the same thing about this particular notable figure, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson. Uh, he was tall and what he'd, he'd get right up in somebody's face and whatnot, that sort of thing, in order to uh, be able to uh, uh, to convince that person or or intimidate that person into doing whatever he wanted that person to do, uh, whether it was constructive or non-constructive. Uh, so that was that was a real good real good observation uh, as far as that concern. Um, that's all I had to say on that. I, I just was just listening to to the different uh, comments and thought I'd uh, chime in on that one. Thank you. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Good evening, Josh. Good evening to the callers and to the listeners. Um, regarding um, what the caller from Florida said, and um, uh, well, both callers from Florida, the firefighter and the one before, and the person who, this is a female caller from New York, by the way, and the, um, uh, person who wrote in about um, how this um, employer was asking if he played basketball, asking how many kids and all of that, you know, and with LBJ being so close to people, close to uh, to other people, I think that that uh, speaks to a certain level of homoeroticism that we spoke about, that white men often exhibit um, towards black men and their bodies. Um, So I just wanted to point that out. And, um, I just wanted to share something um, regarding my 23-year career as a civil servant that ended last November. Um, I've been recently uh, listening to the audio book, uh, Carter G. G. Woodson's The Miseducation of the Negro. And there's a portion in there where he speaks about how you have educated black people who are supervisors on jobs, um, and he compared it to the reaction amongst black staff as compared to, excuse me, white supervisors and how um, when you have a black person as a supervisor, how um, there's so much discord and there's uh, um, so much um, animosity that happens and the level of work um, and production um, changes um, and there is a different sort of morale um, in the workplace, whereas if you have a white person supervising the same black people in the same exact way, you have a whole other output. And um, it just made me reflect. And, you know, I was much, much more confused um, at the time that uh, I was uh, promoted to supervisor for the first time. I got promoted three times during my career. Um, the first time I was promoted, I was promoted over my peers. And, you know, a lot of folks don't want to do that. They don't want to take a position and turn around and have to supervise their peers. Um, But this involves, the story that I want to talk about involves a racist director, a racist mid-level person, myself as a supervisor, and the staff. The racist director got her job as a, um, from being from promoted 
being promoted from a supervisor and um, the director prior to her was a black woman who had retired. This black woman um, directly uh, supervised the supervisors and the staff who were all black. Now, when this racist director got this position, a white woman, he's a, he's a, this is a white woman I'm talking about, when she got this position, the first thing she did was hire a mid-level because she, she wanted no direct contact with the black supervisors and the black staff. So, of course, she hired a white mid-level person to keep the plantation in check, okay, including the black supervisors. So I got promoted to a supervisor. I got promoted, and I was assigned, um, carefully assigned particular staff who I never really had to um, work with um, when they were my peers. Um, saying uh, What I'm saying is that we were in different departments. So I was very careful. The staff that I uh, supervised were very carefully handpicked. It made no difference. Just like Mr. Woodson said in his book, chaos ensued. No matter what I did, no matter how I said it, um, no, uh, I did textbook stuff. I knew what I was doing. There was always a problem. Why? Because it's someone that used to be their peer. So they went to the mid-level white person. Oh, she, uh, we don't like the way she's talking to us, which means that we don't want her telling us what to do. You know, you know the, the, the um, classic victim um, sort of response on a plantation. So what this white mid-level person did was have a meeting with these black um, uh, workers on the plantation all about me. I had no clue that this is what she was doing. So she had this meeting, and I heard from another person, uh, a staff member, that the whole meeting was about me. And most of the people in there, I had not even supervised. I supervised maybe uh, one-third of them. The other two-thirds, I had nothing to do with. Okay, so when I found that out, I went to the director. I said, listen, is it proper for a mid-level person who is receiving complaints from other workers about their supervisor to have a general meeting about the supervisor with them rather than coming to me as a mid-level person who is also my supervisor to address what the issues may be? I mean, it sounds like she's creating more problems rather than um, trying to resolve the issue. So the racist director, oh, you just, just forget about it. Yeah, yeah I'm going to speak to her about it. Don't worry, yeah, that, that's not right. And um, I'm going to speak to her about it. So I said, okay. Meanwhile, the mid-level person came to me, the, a white woman. Well, you know what they're saying? They're saying, you know, you know, they don't like the way you say things to them, and um, they don't, they, 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 they feel that maybe, you know, you shouldn't have got this position. And um, then she said something very, very interesting to me. You know, you come to work, you dress nice, you walk around with your head up, and they're intimidated by that. I said, oh, it's not them. It's you. You're intimidated by this. You're the one, this mid-level person. I was more thorough than she was. I, I, I was uh, excellent. Uh, re I wrote reports. Um, 
I was just, you know, good at what I did. And white women on the job do not like any black person, any nigger doing anything, especially for the female, better than they do it. So when she walks, when she said to me, I dress nice and I walk around with my head up, are you saying that I'm supposed to come to work looking any old kind of shabby way like you do? Walking around with my head down, shuffling through, shuffling through the halls, I don't know what I'm doing, and that would make me an appropriate supervisor? So what they did was um, uh, apparently this director spoke to the mid-level person about it, okay? At that time, like I said, I was much, much, much more confused. I never wrote anything down, and I was in a new position. It's my, my first time being promoted as supervisor. And for some reason, for some reason, I thought that my biggest goal and my biggest job was to make all the people on the plantation happy, which was not going to happen, which was to be that supervisor that they liked, which never, ever happened in my career. So I just learned to keep it moving. I'm, I'm not in charge. I am not in charge. I'm just going to do what I have to do. And as I learned, as I went on, it became much uh, less confused by um, listening to the cows um, since like 2012 and, um, and understanding. I had no problem with just like, oh, well, yep, you didn't do it. I'm just going to write it down and keep it pushing. Because guess what? If I say anything about it, they're not going to do anything about it because they know that I'm not in charge. And essentially, this is what they want me to do. They want me to not be some sort of um, um, efficient person. So I just wanted to share that, how um, my, a piece of my career and what uh, Mr. Woodson actually spoke about was like real life in my face at the time, but I didn't even realize it. So that's all I had, and I'll mute my line. Wow. Spectacular. Great fit. Always Great to include Carter G. Woodson. Phenomenal information. Now, every time I hear his name, I'm reminded of uh, the book uh, Red Summer uh, about all of the white terrorism that happened during 1919, uh, where Carter G. Woodson got caught. They had uh, just a massive uh, explosion uh, of white violence in Washington, D.C., and Carter G. Woodson saw this. And he saw them killing a black person, and he had to run uh, for his life because they were going to kill him too. And uh, it was just like this was before the miseducation of the Negro had been published. Uh, And when I first read about that, it was like, wow, we almost didn't even get that bit of information uh, from white terrorism. But at any rate, uh, certainly a classic I would encourage folks to read. And just what you just shared, that if folks, if people that have been listening for a while or if people who go back in the archives and listen to we've been doing workplace racism, uh, we had been doing it as a part of the compensatory call in for about three years. Um, I think we've been, yeah, about three years. If you go back and you listen uh, towards the end of 2000, I would say like the end of 2013 to the end of the year from around the end of August, late August, definitely September to the end of the year. Uh, you will hear me saying, okay, uh, people can bring up if they have problems with their black supervisor, we can address that, but that is not going to be the dominant theme because it was, it was as though 
the whole problem with workplace racism was these no good trifling black supervisors. And I was saying at that time, something seems awry here that we can be in a system of white supremacy where black people are not in charge. Even the black people have a title of supervisor or president or whatever other title white people want to put on us that the whole segment is being consumed with our frustrations with black supervisors. So something seems very amiss uh, about that uh, under a system of white terrorism. Uh, but it was consistent. And I think what you just mentioned, what Carter G. Woodson wrote about, I think that is a big part. Uh, I'm not saying that every single, uh, I'm sure that there are instances where we have black supervisors and they're doing incorrect things. They too are victims of white supremacy. They've been put in that position to harass and malign black workers but i also think some of the cases it could be that is just a part of our victimization where we just have problems uh with a quote-unquote black person in charge black supervisor uh we're exactly what she was saying we just don't want another black person telling us what to do folks have commentary uh, about what they just heard or from any of the other folks who dialed in folks have commentary they wanted to add or thoughts observations on what they've heard um can i be heard uh, I guess we'll nab Raz, Raz, sorry, and then we'll get the other call as well. All right. I just wanted to chime in on um, what the sister just talked about and another, uh, one of the uh, two of the calls previously. I think she actually spoke about them, too. But in reference to her situation, it really that really uh, speaks to what Dr. Wilson always talked about as far as black self-respect, um, white people. And that's why I said uh, the last workplace racism, um, I said um, that just about every no matter what the industry is, that every business functions like a plantation. And either you have the white people manipulating the black supervisors to become overseers and harass or, or um, psychologically terrorize the people under them, or you have the black people that, like she said, they were her peers, she gets promoted, and then they now go tattletale to Massa that the, the person that they put in this supervisory position is a problem and that inability for us to understand the dynamics of what we're dealing with is really, really potent. And um, I'm really sorry she had to go through that because I know it must've been very disheartening and um, to have an, a brilliant assessment of her being able to, to pick out what the white woman was saying for what it really is. And I remember um, nearly full junior saying a while ago that, you know, black people and white people don't speak the same language. We could say the same sentence in English, but it will mean something totally different to white people than it means to black people. And her ability to pick that out was brilliant. Um, it's really shocking that she said she was more confused because just her ability to assess that, there's so many of us where that would have flown right over our heads. Um, so that was really great. Um, and again, it just speaks to black self-respect, how we function on the job, um, being careful even with other black people, not assuming like that's always says that we're on the same team simply because we have black skin. Um, we all, you know, deal with this system in different ways, and some of us go along to get along, and sometimes this is the result as far as her experience, and I'm sorry to hear that. Um, to the black male who talked about um, the supervisor standing so close to him and the other black male who wrote in about, um, basically, it sounded like he was on the auction block. He's looking at his hands, asking about his children, and I'm reading The Delectable Negro. It's so amazing because these experiences are forms of cannibalism. And just from reading this book, it's a form of consumption. They're consuming you, whether it's in the, in the image, in the form of your image, your physical person, 
um, or just the way that they approach you, that, that ability. Um, in, it's weirdly enough in the delectable Negro, they were talking about Olauda Equiano and his relationship with this, uh, this white, this white uh, slave ship, uh, the captain of a slave ship, and then a white male who he was purchased by. And very similar scenario to what uh, both, both of the male callers were talking about. And um, it's just a, a, a potent mix. And I was going to say, I was wondering if the guy who wrote in, if he can um, say if he got any sort of homosexual vibes from that supervisor, because that is definitely something that comes into play when dealing with white males. If they feel like they're less of a man than you are as a black male, which is what they feel the vast majority of the time, which is why they treat us like they do. Um, there's always a homosexual fascination with that form of black masculinity because black men have traditionally been seen as an effeminate race, which is how they quote it in, uh, in uh, the, the delectable Negro. Like we're seen as basically effeminate males and that the whole black race is considered feminine, which is why there was such wholesale rape of black males as well as black females. And I just wanted to chime in with that for now. Thank you so much for taking my call. Appreciate that, Roz. There was another caller who spoke up simultaneously uh, when Roz commented. Uh, did you have uh, observations or comments you wanted to add? Yes. Uh, it's been my observations uh, that when a non-white person, especially a non-white black person, uh, has the, uh, the uh the, the want or the ambition or the need to uh, uh, get in position of supervisory or some kind of position of, of authority over other workers or other people in general that uh, you really got to have that, that, that planned out on, on uh, because from my experiences, all of the people that, that I've known, include, including Chief Phillips, went through a whole lot of pain. Uh, I mean, from the standpoint of resorting to being a chain smoker, uh, I'm not talking about Chief Phillips, but, but, but uh, a chain smoker, alcoholic, uh, even the president of the United States, uh, uh, just my opinion that uh, everybody observed on how his, his uh, uh, hair appearance changed uh, within, it seems like almost months, but actually it probably was a couple of years. Uh, I think it was due to just my opinion, due to the stress that he started experience experiencing in that particular position to whereas he was observing that, Hey, I am not really in charge and, and people are actually resisting. I mean, and we all know there was, there were several, uh, white people who, who uh, would openly say that we are we're going to work very hard to see that everything he does fails? Uh, can you imagine that on you on your job and people are actually uh, verbally telling you that they are not going to uh, assist you in any way in your capacity as their supervisor, uh, and we're going to work against you, <laughs> uh, and uh, so. That's something really that uh, it has to be thought out, you know, because the way I look at it, it's nothing more important than your health. And, from, and once again, uh, every situation I've seen uh, as far as 
well, I've seen some, I've seen some non-white people do pretty, pretty well under the circumstances of racist white supremacy, do well as supervisors. Uh, they, I guess they, from, I guess my observation, they had the talent to know how to, uh, communicate in a way that it, it, it was basically as far as stress on their part was, was reduced. But I've, I've seen disasters also, you know, uh, as far as that concern. I mean, uh, from a standpoint, whereas a couple of the people that Chief Phillips mentioned, uh, there was uh, a, a, a twins, two twins, who ended up being uh, division chiefs, and one of them is dead today from a heart attack. And this guy was no older than about, uh, late fifties, something like that, and uh, uh, you know, and it, 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 it had a lot to do with it had a lot to do with uh, the stress that he uh, was getting uh, on the job itself. I mean, I'm hearing an echo, but anyway, I, I, I'm finished with what I had to say. Thank you. I was hearing the echo as I don't hear it now, but I was hearing the echo as well. The, I guess, caller in Florida, do you have uh, something more that you wanted to add? Just checking in. Oh, we have multiple callers. The caller in Florida who does the car detailing, did you have something uh, more you wanted to add? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. I apologize for the uh, for the echo, guys. I'm, I'm in my car. Um, yeah, you guys made uh, exact... The, the, the woman, the young lady that called from New York, that that term that she gave, I forget, but that's exactly what it is. It's such a, it's such a deep, yes, deep seated, deep seated love of of flesh, of black flesh, especially from European males, especially from them, the women too, but the males, and outside of racism, white supremacy, understanding it, that is, you 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 just. You just say, man, he must have got some homosexual tendencies or must be gay or for whatever reason or blase, whatever. But inside the realm of racism, white supremacy, the understanding of it, you see what what it comes from, what it is, fetishism, fetishizing for me. And because um, I'm not too knowledgeable, but I know I know what it is when I see it, when I, see it. Well, when I feel it. I know what it is. I'm not good at all the way, all, all the time articulating, but I know what it is. What, what the young man was saying about cannibalism, this, this flesh, just a, a, a carnal love for the flesh, and you can see it. I learned also from Mother Wilson, be critical of everything. So to me, that means analyze, analyze, analyze. I do what, the, what they do. When I, I, when I watch them outside of, of them noticing me, they're always analyzing the suspected racists or, or victims of racism. They're always analyzing. They're watching this, watching that. What? So I do the same thing. I analyze them, watch them, and and what I um, I notice is just a. It's not even a, a caring type of spiritual kind of you know. It's just a love for the flesh. It's always a. It's something carnal, whether it's coming out of their mouths or or, or in their actions. It's carnal, and they. they <laughs> It, it just, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm listening to the callers and what they're saying and the terms that they're giving, and it's all it's just all coming coming together. It's exactly what it is. And I've, I, I don't recommend this to anybody because I don't feel like anybody's in my position at, at, um, at, at work, that is, in workplace. But I'm in a position where, you know, it's a plantation. It is a plantation, don't get me wrong. But... <clears throat> 
they need us. They don't need the individual, so to speak, but they need the type of individuals that they have out there because, as I said before, they everybody who they – a couple months ago we had a, a flurry of hires, all white guys, all white guys, about seven or eight of them. Not, none of them are there now, not even one. The one that they was holding on the longest for maybe like three and a half weeks, he's going to another department in, in, the, uh, in the corporation. So I understand I'm I understand I'm in a position where I can do a little more, I can get away with a little more. You know, I, I'm not so confined. So every chance I get when I hear certain language, when I when I uh observe them talking to certain people uh uh, uh in, in the type of way that I know is racist, that I know is cold, <clears throat> I take that opportunity to either say something to them, you know, mano a mano, one on one, or I make like um maybe a cynical announcement in the, in the, in the, in the area where we work, the, the shop where we work, or I make a, you know, kind of, kind of lame joke, but the lameness make you think about what I said. Cause it's not funny. It just make you think, you know, keep playing what we're replaying what I said. And I take these opportunities because I realize I'm in a position where I have a lot of melanated people around me. And maybe one of them is, is kind is on the level where I am. So I need to expose that. I need to tell the things that that I say. They might not pay attention to it, but in my eyes, it's a seed. And they wake up and they. Sometimes I see it happening. Our manager will come and say something to him, whereas before he can say it to him, and he'll leave, and they'll be mad about it and 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 speak about it in a certain way. Now he'll say something to him, and they'll walk away, and he'll walk away. And be like, you know what? That's racism. And they're, they're, but they, you know, they'll come to me with it. We, we'll talk back and forth about it. They'll come to me and they'll be like, you know, I, I, that was racist right there, what he just said. And I know how. <clears throat> so I, I, I like the position I'm in. I don't know how long I'm going to last, but I realize that's why I'm there. I don't, I don't finance and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not really, I need like everybody else, but it's a concern. But as far as on the level of priorities, it's not. It's it's nowhere near number one. Racism, white supremacy, waking people up, melanated people, waking them up to what's going on around them is my my top priority. And um, I meet my line on that. Not sure. Can I be hurt? Yes, sir. Okay. Good evening. Um, I'm Smith, New York again. Um, yeah, that was me that hold in. I went on an interview with a white um with the. You know, the white lady was very professional and everything but appearance. Um, but, you know, she had me meet the head of HR, you know, and he, I mean, the look he gave me, you know, I I felt like, I hadn't felt like that since, you know, my freshman year in high school when I tried out for the football team and the coach saw me, it was like, oh, my God, man, look at this guy. I mean, you know, how tall are you, you know? And she started asking questions, you know, oh, he said he did this, and he was like, get that, you know, uh, you went to this high school, you know, did you play football there? You guys were good. And I was like, yeah, you know, oh, just a bunch of questions. And I felt a very homoerotic type of feel about it, just like the lady said, which is kind of like how I voted that way. But um, so I started the job today, and, um, you know, everything's going good. I'm being trained. Um, by a black guy who's my supervisor, but it's only me and him that do the work. And um, showing me around and 
he gives me a task to do, and I'm doing it, and um, he comes and grabs me and says, hey, I need you to come with me and help me do something. So we go to this guy's office. And he's like, here's my guy, you know. Um, now, he has this huge L-shaped desk. And I mean huge. I mean probably eight feet, and it's an L, another eight feet. I mean big desk, heavy, big oak desk. So um, he dropped a bunch of stuff behind it. It's like a condenser, so it's like up against the wall, but there's some area where, you know, a few of his pictures and stuff fell. So he needs me and this guy, you know, that's my, my supervisor, to move this desk back about a good, you know, six or seven inches so he could get the papers and stuff and all this stuff he dropped behind his desk. So, you know, it's an old desk. You don't want to break it. You know, so we kind of come up with a plan on how we're going to move it. And um, both scoot down and try to get it from the bottom just to start inching it back. So I said, oh, man, I expected more from you. I mean, more, let's get this thing moving. And I was just like, oh, my God, look at my deal of it. Oh, so, you know, I gave it a bill pull. And we moved it back, you know, and uh, the guy who I worked with, he got a bloom and he started to, you know, try to shift the papers out from the areas. And, you know, of course, the white guy now, he, he, you know, comes from behind the shadow. He wants to be in charge now. Give me the broom. No, 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 I'll do that part. You know, and he, you know, couldn't even get those. You know, by the end of the time, we ended up having to sweep the stuff back out and um, push the desk back. But um, that was pretty much, you know, what happened today. So I, I expect an interesting lie here as long as it lasts. Um, and I would like to say that that um, Neil Fuller, man, that logic, you know, I it it has a lot of logical sense. I'm just I just think that if you go that route, they're still gonna call you in the office. And, you know what really is going on here? You know before they do anything, it's not gonna be an investigation without them talking to you first. You know, and uh, I'll meet my mom. Uh, the number again, if folks would like to chime in to participate, the number is 641-715-3640, and the code is 564-943-POUND. Uh, press star 6 if you would like to participate. Uh, feel free, as I said, remind folks if you picked out any bits of policy and procedure uh, that stood out, feel free uh, to share as we move along. Uh, anybody that's on the line that we have not heard from, if you had any comments that you wanted to add in, feel free. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, good evening, Gus, and to the callers and listeners. Um, well, I wanted to share just a few uh, incidents that happened this week. Um, the racist jokes were rampant uh, in the law firm this week. Um, there was one incident where we had a client who called in and was upset. Uh, she was a black female. She was upset because the caption or just the way her name was spelled was incorrect. And so it was, um, she was correcting them. Her name was spelled, or they had a, you know, had it as Shaniqua, um, and she was upset and, you know, trying to correct them so they could get her name spelled 
correct because all of her documentation was, was going to be misspelled with the Shaniqua. And so the attorney um, was like, well, what is, what is the spelling, the correct spelling of your name? And she said, he had her on speakerphone, which I thought was inappropriate because, you know, it was obvious he wanted everyone to hear the conversation. Um, and her name is Shaniqua with a K. And so, you know, he was like, well, spell it. And so she spelled the name, and when she hung up, when they, the car was finished, you know, of course that was the big joke. And he said, well, what difference do it make, Shaniqua versus Shaniqua? And, you know, wow, I can't believe she, you know, that's, that's what's ruining her day, just the qua over the ka. And they all just made a big, it was just, it was, it was disgusting. They were just joking about, you know, how she made a big deal about that and, you know, had the nerve to call in. And she was, you know, I guess she had left several messages, but it was a big deal naturally for her. So that was, um, you know, the joke. Um, and then there's also a black law firm um, in the Detroit area where where the head attorney, you know, he, he's a black man that has the firm and it's just, Everybody that calls over there, you know, they, they, there's a joke. Don't call over to, you know, his office. You'll never get a return phone call. And, you know, if you have a case with, you know, anybody in their office, just expect it to just get messed up. And so they were making jokes about just, you know, how no one answered the phone. It was like, I think it was 8 o'clock uh, the, uh, the other morning. Oh, they're probably not in the office yet. You know, they're going to probably open about 15, 20 minutes late. And so it was a lot of, you know, just racist jokes on that. Um, the other thing that I noticed, I did pull out the handbook or the employee manual, and it was interesting because the office manager did make an announcement saying that they were hiring. And if we know anybody that's looking for a job, um, you know, hey, send them our way, give us their resume. And there's, a, you know, a couple pages in our manual where they show they give bonuses to if we find attorneys or support staff, you can get a bonus. And so I had inquired and um, I was like, yeah, I know a couple people who are looking for a job and I was just getting information. And I said, I have, you know, a couple of relatives that are looking. And so she, the office manager, she, I couldn't even <laughs> I can't even finish my sentence when I was telling her about my relatives. She was like, oh, no, we don't hire relatives. We don't hire relatives. And I said, oh, you don't? And she said, nope, we don't hire relatives. And I just figured they don't hire relatives. And so uh, I started walking around the office. I'm still new, kind of. And I saw a couple people with the same last name. And I'm like, this is a, a common last name. I'm like, okay, they're obviously related. <laughs> and uh, this week, one of the attorneys, the, you know, the children, like a lot of the students are on uh, break, they, they're coming in as interns. I'm like, okay, clearly they're relatives. So maybe they, she just meant we don't hire black relatives. Like that's just what I got out of it. Um, the other thing when I looked in the manual, and I'm so glad that you, you know, suggested that we pull out, pull out the policy manual. I also had a meeting with the office manager, um, and I was asking her, well, when am I eligible for, you know, the 401K? I want to, you know, just make sure I have my dates, you know, together so I can start contributing to the 401K. And she said, oh, okay, well, you just started in April, so uh, you're not going to be eligible until October. 
I was like, oh, okay, October. I'm like, okay, fine. And I'm looking at the manual right now, and it says eligibility at 21 years of age and after three months of service, an employee may elect to begin making contributions to the plan. Um, I'll be there three months next month. October is six months. So she clearly gave me uh, the wrong information. She lied. She said six months, and I thought that was interesting. And I wouldn't have known had I not cracked open the manual. Um, And the last thing, I just noticed all week uh, the white female coworkers, they are just so nosy. You can't have one conversation. Like a lot of times, you know, people, you know, may ask me a question, um, hey, where can I find the envelopes? Or do you know how to send an email to this judge? Do you know this judge's email address? I mean, if I open my mouth or try to explain something, this one lady in particular, she is just so nosy. She has to find out what I'm talking about. She wants to know what I'm saying, and she just makes it a point to say, but you're just so quiet. I'm just so shocked that you're talking. And I I just didn't know if you needed any help. I just didn't know if you needed any help. So she tries to pretend that she wants to, you know, make sure that I don't need any help, but she's nosy. She's, just, you know, just on the job. She she is definitely on it. So I just thought that was interesting, and it's uh, just typical. You always have that one, one or two or three nosy white women or whatever just always checking up and hounding and following you around. So that was my experience this week, and um, that's all I have. The tackiness, the disrespect of uh, spelling the black female's name correctly, uh, and then to have her on speakerphone out there snickering about all this Shaniqua, Shaniqua, what does it really matter? It's all same thing, some nigger name. <laughs> Standard, the tackiness all day. Um, that And again, that's why I point out the policy and procedure, because a lot of times you'll see that they're in violation of their own policy, and that might be too. Uh, in terms of uh, when you can participate in the financial program or what have you, and then also about them not have uh, them not hiring uh, family members, uh, I would be looking to see uh, is that in the manual specifically? What page? Where exactly is that that we don't hire uh, family members in the manual? And that might be another one that Mr. Fuller, like he was talking about in the clip, uh, that equal protection. Is this for everybody? So nobody doesn't matter if you're the janitor, if you're in human resources, if you're the CEO. We don't hire family means we don't hire family. And and when you say family, what do you mean? Does that mean wife? Uh, does that mean brother, sibling, cus- uh, cousin, in-law? Like you know, what exactly do you mean? What constitutes family? Uh, if uh, a person here. Uh, if they're working here and then they end up marrying the brother of somebody that works here, now they're in-laws. Is that family? Does that count? Does somebody have to leave? Like, get them to explain it in detail. If this is official policy, it should cover all of that. Like, it should be all the ins and outs of it should be covered. And just get them to explain it. And, again, not asking in an accusatory manner because you don't have an army or anything backing. Just explain it so that I, I understand and to make sure that this does apply equally across the board to everyone. Uh, that's one that Mr. Fuller encourages frequently. Uh, but, yeah, that's policy and procedure. Go to it. Like I said, even if you just spend 10 minutes a day, just read a little bit, 10, 15 minutes, read a little bit, take notes, highlight whatever you need to do. And within a week or two, depending on how big it is, some places have bigger ones, bigger manuals than others. But within a week or two, you should be able to go through the whole thing. I guarantee you, you will learn some great information that will be of help to you on your job. And it might even be 
you get information that you don't even use until three, four months down the road. Something comes up and it's, oh, yeah, I read that in the manual. Let me go back and recheck. Yeah, this is what it says right here. Boop, boop. And you would just take it in. Then it's not you accusing anyone or you trying to be tough on the job. I'm just abiding by what's in the manual. Is this what we're going by on the job or not? And they can tell you. White women inserting themselves into black females or victim females conversation is standard operating procedure. And I believe that it falls in line with what um, the gentleman caller um, a few calls ago had mentioned about um, intimidation tactics um, of just standing too close. Um, I had experienced that as well, where I would be having a conversation with someone. It could be someone in the office who stopped by or just someone who I'm in the office with, and the white woman would just all of a sudden insert herself into the conversation. No one was talking to her, but um, she'd be in her office maybe listening and just felt like she needed to come out of her office and say something or she'd walk by and she'd say something or she would just walk by behind where we were sitting and just to kind of look. And one of the things that I would do is if she happened to walk by behind our counter where we were at and I was on my computer, I would minimize my um, screen. I would minimize whatever window, excuse me, that I had open every time she walked by. She was not my supervisor or she didn't have any kind of, um, she wasn't in a position to really tell me what to do. So I would often minimize my screen or just try to keep it small if I knew that she was coming by. Um, but I think that that standard operating procedure of white women to insert themselves into conversations, whether or not they know what you're talking about, they're going to find a way just to interject their thoughts or opinions into it. And I, too, have worked my job from um, a white woman coming out and blatantly saying that the employees were intimidated by me, but I translated that to as in her being intimidated by me. Black people on the job are not, it's, you know, it's just like Ross said that how every um, job runs as a plantation and if you can remember, you know that black people are not supposed to congregate together on a plantation because they may be talking about how to overthrow the master or run away or do some other thing that might threaten their system. So I think that's where that comes from, especially with white women. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, I just wanted to say to the, um, the sister who uh, just gave her story, I uh, what I noticed is that all of them are agent provocateurs. In some form or fashion, they have to show that they are the master of the plantation, whether it's interjecting to your conversations, whether it's um, uh, micromanaging you by looking over your shoulder and walking by your, by your desk every, every so often. That's why I really um, think that Gus's Gus's suggestion about bringing nothing to the job as far as personal stuff, candy, nothing that would keep those crackers around your desk whatsoever. 
um, that helps quite a bit. Um, also, I just wanted to speak to uh, the firefighter in Florida. He was talking about, um, well, he used the President Obama as the example of how uh, white people basically said collectively to him, those people in his cabinet and whoever else, all the other political figures around him, that we're going to make sure that you don't accomplish anything. And it just made me think of something. When Gus uh, speaks about this being a global system of people, it's the same thing on a micro level on the job. It's a system of people working together to sabotage you if you're a black supervisor, whether it's a group of black people who are anti-black, whether it's uh, some white supervisor or a bunch of white supervisors working in concert or, I mean, like, it's literally a system of people. And if you can tap into understanding how that system functions as far as whether it's the black folks that are functioning in an anti-black manner or the white folks who are functioning in a codified white supremacist manner, it'll help to um, facilitate maybe navigating that system um, to your benefit as best you can. Also, um, I had a brief workplace racism incident that I found very telling, but it was very simple. Um, I had a, a female coworker, actually, she called in, uh, she called in, her name is V, and she needed some assistance uh, the other day setting up her desk. We have something called, in, in the job, something called Veradesk, and it's basically a, a, a desk, a, a, I guess it's a desktop that you put on top of your desk, but it has a mechanism with which you can actually raise your computer. So if you want to stand up instead of sitting down, you can stand up and type on the computer, and then you can lower the computer down to desk level if you, you know, you're tired of standing up and you would rather sit down. So it's basically an ad- adjustable desktop, um, and she needed help because it's a really heavy and uh, big device. So I, I offered my assistant first thing in the morning, so I walked her to the desk, and I don't normally go to the area that she sits in um, just because I – uh, just the way that it's set up, I just the whole aura of that particular space is not attractive to me. Like usually, she'll come and visit me sometimes, and she uh, comes to work in the morning, things like that. Um, I do go. I have gone over there, but I don't make it a point to go over there too often. So I went the other morning to help her set up the desk. And as soon as I finished helping her, there's another white female who was told she had to switch desks in the same room. Now there's a bunch of other white men standing around that she could have asked to move her desk. I'll get uh, move uh, get her one of those desktops as well, but she actually, as soon as I finished helping her, she just asked me to do it, and the only reason I didn't tell her to go screw herself was because we were on the job. So I went and I got a desk for her. I walked her to the desk, walked her to the desk, and um, I put it down. And then I got out of there as quickly as possible because I knew if I if anyone else was going to call me to do anything of that nature, I was going to act like I didn't hear them and just beeline up out of there. But that was just something that I noticed was just, yeah, you know, the, the, the nigger slave is, you know, moving heavy objects. So, come on, nigger, move my stuff too. And my normal response would have really been something that she wouldn't have liked. But I'm at work and, you know, trying to survive on the plantation. So I just wanted to chime in with that. Um, if anything else comes to mind, then I'll definitely speak on it. And, yes, Gus, I wanted to apologize. Um, this week has been a little bit crazy, so I didn't get the opportunity to pull something out of the um, manual, but I will make it a point between now and next Thursday to do so so that I will have something to, to chime in with as well. So I do apologize for that. Um, I do take those types of assignments as far as counsel racism extremely seriously. That's basically the job I do when I'm not at work and when I'm not helping my family or doing something for my family. It's countering these racists as best I can or helping other black people learn the system. So thanks again for this program, and I'll meet my line. No apologies needed. No apologies needed. 
folks, uh, anybody else, if you uh, didn't do it this week and you think it would be constructive, you can take that time out and share next Thursday. We should be here, same time. That would be grand, but uh, I think it would benefit you, uh, not Ross specifically, but just everybody. I think it, it would be a benefit to go through and check the policy. Just you might might learn something could, that could help you keep your job uh, in the long run. Uh, we had a person that wrote in as well, uh, commentary since we went live, she wrote in. Uh, she said, I've called and spoken about my organization before, but in relation to a woman on my job uh, who listens and insists on hugging me. Although this is not an issue with hugging or other inappropriate touching, it does relate to the same woman. A little about my organization. For those who don't recall, uh, my organization is in a major metropolitan city. I work in an organization with about 1,000 employees. There's a large number of non-white people at my job. However, they are at most exclusively in service or housekeeping areas. In the administrative offices that I work in, there are about 15 to 20 black people out of probably 250 professional employees. I have worked at my organization for over five years, and due to the nature of my organization, the professional staff almost all have advanced degrees and would call themselves liberal. As a result, there is a high level of refinement at my workplace. I cannot speak for the entire organization, but in my immediate department, of which I am the only non-white person, no one speaks on current events, politics, religion, or any other hot-button issue. They are very codified. So for the most part, I've had very few, if any, memorable issues in my time here. This until is until about one and a about one and a half, two years ago, when the serial hugger joined the organization. This is nearly the opposite of my other white co-workers. She is loud, obnoxious, and constantly pushing up the limits when it comes to appropriate behavior. One of the tasks of my position is to match invoices I receive from vendors against purchase orders and prepare the invoices for payment by accounting. Well, the other day I was asked by the hugger to give pre to pre-authorize payment for one of her vendors in the amount of over $10,000. I asked why, but received no real explanation. While I had in the past pre-authorized payment for this contractor on behalf of the hugger, it was due to the fact that I would be out of the office on vacation and not available to receive the invoice later that week when it was submitted. This, however, is not the procedure and I made sure to receive authorization from accounting before doing so. So this week when the hugger emailed me asking me to pre-approve this very large balance remaining on the purchase order, I refused. She was not happy. After some back and forth, she explained that she wasn't sure if I would pay him on time as there had been some late payments made to him last year and that this white gentleman relies on this money to live on. I explained that there had not been late payments in many months and that technically his payments were never late even then as we have 30 days to pay a vendor, not three days after submission like he was getting now. 
The fact that I was unwilling to budge upset her so I went ahead and reached out to the comptroller of our organization. I outlined the issue and asked him for some guidance or to please point me in the direction of formal policy I could refer to. The comptroller was very concerned by what he read in my email and told me as much. He said that what the hugger was asking me to do is a very serious matter that potentially borders on fraud. He explained that I am under no condition authorized to do what she is asking and to make sure I direct her to him if she provides any further pushback. Of course, the hugger resisted again when I explained this to her. I believe in her mind she wasn't going to let this black woman tell her what she could and couldn't do. I so feel like I've heard that before. Anyway, so I kindly provided her with the name and phone number of the comptroller who she proceeded to call. Apparently, he did not budge either, thank goodness, because I later received an email from her pretty much conceding, but not before stating in a tremendously patronizing manner that she hopes I will keep my word and process these invoices in a timely manner moving forward. With the help of my husband, who guided me through my email response, I managed to stay codified and told her I would continue to pay the invoices in a timely manner, just as I had been and always do with every invoice that comes through. I think the part that I found to be most upsetting is how this woman was willing to put me in a position that I could lose my job solely to be liked by this white male that I contend she has a crush on. In her inappropriate times, she has often been heard talking about how handsome he is and if only she were 20 years younger. She is so concerned with this man having his pay more quickly than any other contractor because, as she says, he needs his money to live on, yet I have a child and a family that relies on my income and she is willing to put me in a position that I could lose my job if I were to be audited as I am as I am annually and this was discovered I will stop there fascinating fascinating and again policy and procedure seem to figure in prominently in this case as well uh, anybody have any feedback on that piece specifically that was written in yes um, it sounds like she was trying to play mental chess. And when I say that, I mean in the sense of using her whiteness and her white power to psychologically dominate you, to compel you to do what she wanted to your detriment, which is something that white people naturally do all the time. Um, and that just goes back to just about, there's so many, I, I'll just go to entertainment movies where it's always black people saving white people or putting themselves in a compromising position or killing themselves off, committing suicide essentially um, for white people. And it sounds like she was really trying to uh, compel you to do what she wanted to your own detriment. But because you had a more powerful white person who basically superseded and supported your decision, and like Gus said, due to your brilliance of going to that, that, um, that work manual, 
to find out what was actually the, the process and asking the right questions, you were able to facilitate that situation. I would say be very careful with her because she seems to be determined to, um, to really, um, for lack of a better term, I'll say get under your skin, like to really, really um, psychologically terrorize you in a way, or she seems to have, have a, a needlepoint focus on harassing you or trying to manipulate you in some way. So um, just continue to, to keep your, uh, your, um, your guard up and, and pay close attention to her behaviors and what she asks you to do. Always vet it. If it's something that doesn't sound right, then that means it probably isn't right. And I would just say in general, vet anything she asks you to do, because even if it's seen, something that's seemingly um, harmless, she's the type of person who will definitely come at you in a way that's seemingly coy and seemingly nice, but yet she's setting you up just like she attempted to do it then. And um, it, it just reminds me of something I think Gretchen said before, you know, they'll, they'll tell you something in a nice way first, then they'll, they'll uh, try to compel you by using their, their power, and then if that doesn't work, it's just violence. So I just, just say be very wary of her, but that definitely... Um, uh, brilliant execution, uh, great uh, black self-respect and counter-racist work on the job. Thank you. For sure. Kudos to the husband as well. Seemed like we had some teamwork uh, in an attempted marriage with black people. That is outstanding, supporting each other and helping to solve problems. Uh, anybody else with feedback or observations uh, on what the uh, listener just wrote in? Yeah, that's scary when they they get to the point where they could get you arrested or or um, in some type of fine situation. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I would watch her very closely. I expect her to be uh, very angry and um, do something to the family, something real slick and white. other commentary if folks have other uh, feedback uh, on this uh, or if you have your own incidents uh, of workplace racism feel free to chime in it's been a great advertisement just what we've heard from folks over this program the significance of policy and procedure make sure you check it out uh, again you can read it in small bits take 10-15 minutes every day just go through read a little bit highlight make notes can really end up helping you out in diffusing racist attacks on the job because it seems like a lot of times either they are doing things that are in violation of their own written policy or they're trying to compel you to do things that are in violation of the policy and again you don't have to go in and talk tough and and you I mean, you're not coming from a position of strength anyway as a victim of white supremacy. You're just presenting their policy and procedure. Is this what we are supposed to follow on the job or not? And if not, who is saying that we're supposed to violate that? You can just use that policy and procedure as, as toilet paper. That doesn't mean anything. You know, forget that. This is what we're going to do. You just want that person to step forward and announce that in front of the whole company that, you know, this is their position and this is what we're supposed to do. Other yeah, did I hear someone? Uh, the person victim, were you with us? Did you have commentary you wanted to share? Or are you just listening? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, I wanted to speak on. There was a a uh, a young white 
female that was uh, on my job, and um, she always wanted to give um, put across this image of her being being a Southern belle. Um, she was always talking to black people about, and pardon my voice, I'm sorry, <clears throat> but she was always talking to black people about um, Southern food. You know, she was always talking about, oh, I know how to cook greens and you know, chicken and, you know, homemade biscuits. And she was just always um, really talking with um, black people, particularly black people that were in supervisory supervisory positions, such as myself. So we had a new a black female that came on board that was, you know, also in a supervisory position. She was very outspoken, very confident, um, somewhat um, kind of tall in stature, but um, she was uh, very direct in her uh, in her style. And um, this white um, female would always kind of, uh, you know, try to bring her food. Please taste, you know, I made these greens. Uh, please taste my food. Or I made this cake or I made these biscuits, whatever. And, you know, she would always tell stories about, um, her hometown, which is in, in the South, and how, you know, she just, oh, yeah, the black people kind of show me how to cook. They're, they're the ones that really, um, you know, helped me out and showed me how to really cook. And she was always offering up food, and she was always in the proximity, uh, particularly of the black female that had just came on board. Again, this black, black female was... Uh, very confident, very outspoken, very direct in her approach or whatever. And um, it's either, you know. Uh... Oh, are you still with us, sir? Hello, hello. Sounds like he might have got uh, disconnected. Um, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm sorry. So um, this white female was always in the proximity, always trying to offer up some some food, always just telling her about her family, all her little, I guess, uh, female problems. She would tell her stuff about her her menstrual cycle and just her boyfriend, just any little thing that had nothing to do with work. And um, and I used to always tell the black female, I say, hey, there's something this. This girl, I know you You might be flattered by this or whatever. I mean, I think she was somewhat annoyed, too, but she was flattered in, to some aspect. But I was like, you know, this girl, she's um, something strange. But I didn't directly say anything about racism. But I was like, there's something strange about this, and you might want to, you know, be careful with your interactions with her. But later on, come to find out, she had started some petition against this black female supervisor just saying that, she was, uh, you know, rude and um, kind of, uh, you know, using disrespect, disrespectful language towards, you know, uh, coworkers and stuff like that. And um, she had went around uh, through the workspace <clears throat> gathering uh, the thoughts and opinions and, and actually trying to sway the opinions of other people and um, talk bad about this uh, black female. Luckily, this didn't <clears throat> affect her her job or, or anything like that. But it was just the fact that um, this white girl was really, I I believe that we were talking about the proximity thing. And I think she really wanted to 
be around this black female to try to, I don't know, um, I want to say be a leech or, you know, I don't want to use, but she was really trying to absorb any, anything from this black female. Because again, this black female was very confident, very knowledgeable, just very sharp, um, just very, very good on the job for the most part. The only thing that um, some people had a problem with was she was very direct, but I didn't have any problem with it. And the most, most people respected her direct approach because she didn't use um, vague language or anything like that. But um, later come to find out that this girl that was always in her space, always around her, always asking for advice, always offering food, just being around her was actually practicing racism and was um, really trying to take whatever she felt very uh, inferior to this black woman and wanted to be around her to try to, so to I guess, soak up or try to absorb some of her, her um, knowledge and her, uh, her, her strength and everything really. And I just always thought it was weird. It was kind of like a, uh, like a, uh, a parasite to me. I always thought the relationship was like a parasite on a host or whatever. And I always uh, tried to, warned the uh, black female she would laugh it off but uh, i'm not sure if she ever um you know took it seriously what i said but uh and another thing with um you know whites i just noticed with uh with whites in the workplace they it don't it doesn't really matter what position you're in or um how much knowledge you have or whatever they don't want to take orders from you it's like hey i don't care how much school how much education you have how much experience you have, how proficient you are at your job, you're still a nigger and I'm white. So, you know, be careful at how you uh, address me. And, uh, you know, they always have, I can always read body language, and how people, how they receive uh, criticism or direction or anything like that. But that's all I have for now. Thank you. Wow. Appreciate that. That great reminder about not eating food uh, on the job. I think Roz has talked about that. Quite a few of our other listeners, uh, 404, uh, not eating food. It seems like she might be the type of person, oh, I made these biscuits or I made this. You got to try that. I can't eat. Sorry. I already ate. I'm good. I'm on a diet. Whatever excuse you need to come up with, I'm good. I can't eat. Just leave all that alone. I think that's a great uh, policy, great code to have in place. Uh, on the job and I think we have heard a lot of racist women on the job this week which is great because I think she gets left out a lot and particularly this week with all the sympathy about the Stanford rape situation and everything all the sympathy going towards white women this week Uh, but always great to keep that in mind that this is a team effort racist man racist woman racist child uh, on the job and just making sure that we remain uh, vigilant at all times and it definitely seems to be a pattern I think this week and just in general uh, where even the caller that wrote in about the situation where the white woman was trying to get this invoice uh, prepaid to hook up this white guy that she liked or whatever, um, where if you're unwilling to go along, whatever they're trying to do, if they want to say, oh, I have this black person, they're not suspicious of me, and they're great, I can go and talk to them at any time, they'll come and move my desk or go out to lunch, whatever they want to do, if they want it to be nice, and this is my black pal on the job, I can go and sit next to them, and they, we're just cool, we can talk about music, or my boyfriend, or whatever gossip that I want to burden them with, or they'll help me do it, everything, they don't think I'm racist, they have no problem me being around them, if that doesn't work, 
it seems the terrorist side comes out immediately like, oh, man, I can't believe this no good hussy. And, you know, I'm trying to hang out and do this and do that. And she didn't want to hook me up. So I'm going to get a petition, see if I can get her fired. It seems like we've heard a lot of that sort of thing before, even if it's just that you don't talk. Uh, where they try to think the caller in Michigan had said that before repeatedly, where you're on a job, you're quiet, you're not doing all that, you don't go out and do happy hour with them and, and do parties on the weekend and that sort of thing. You're not going to hang out with us and let us get in on all of your business so that we can gossip and we can ask you a billion questions about you and your family and where you grew up and how many children you have and how much money you have and where you go on vacation so we know every single thing about you so that we can then turn the, uh, around and use that against you. If you're not open to that, Oh, man, we just come straight tacking us, see if we can get you out of this job, write-ups, all that sort of thing. Just expect that and notice that pattern because that does seem seem like something that has happened uh, come up on the program specifically before from callers. Uh, All of the other folks, I guess these are are people uh, who have dialed in more recently that we might not have heard from. Uh, You all should be with us as well. If you all had commentary you wanted to add, if you had observations on what you've heard or if you just had your own experiences you wanted to share, feel free. Yeah, can I be heard? Uh, do we, is there a female caller in there? Yeah, yes. I was, go ahead. Go ahead, man. <laughs> okay. Um, first thing is, I am so glad that at an early age I learned to play the game of chess. Uh, the game of chess taught me uh, great strategy. Uh, let me uh, say I also have listened to the recent lectures done by Farrakhan t- entitled Business is warfare, and uh, because that has been my experience in my many years of management and administration, and I want to refer to the lady who wrote in about the invoice situation, and what I see happened is this white woman got somewhat of a favor from her initially. and she said it was because she was going on vacation and she wanted to uh, kind of uh, tie everything up. Uh, I know that's a metaphor. And she wanted to complete everything before she left. But this white woman saw it as a way in. Um, when she wrote, when you read what she wrote, I didn't hear where she did documentation. Uh, in her communication with the comptroller. And I just wanted to mention a possible alternative to uh, verbal, to conversations verbally. Um, Sometimes they get mixed up. Sometimes people deny that there was a conversation. So I make sure that I document everything. Uh, So I might have done, as an alternative, I might have said, Uh, Your unusual request uh, is outside of my uh, job responsibilities, uh, the purview of my job responsibilities. Therefore, I am forwarding your email to the comptroller. Please refer any uh, questions about this request to the comptroller. That way you have documented that you made the referral, that also that she made the request in case it should ever come back up. Uh, and I mute my line. I agree. I agree, because anytime white people will put you in a position to hurt yourself, I wouldn't do it. Um, I'll just, you know, either email 
know, you know, talk to them or email the next higher supervisor and say, hey, I, what I would have done, I say, talk to my supervisor and work it out with him. And I would have pushed it off on him, you know, which is another white person. I said, you can go deal with him. And that would have uh, cleared you from that, from that situation. Because me, what I've learned, I don't do any favors for white folks. You know, they have you do favors for them and then come further down the line, they still turn around and kick you in the butt, you know. I, I just learned I don't do any special uh, favors for them. And you're right about the documentation, too. Like I always, um, and I've, I know I've said this a million times, even, you know, just go to an office depot or any store and buy a diary book and, you know, keep it and never throw your books away. Put in the front of it, the year it was written, and always save your books, you know. Um, and, you know, and then you go back and that helps you, you know, become a, a better worker. You know, I always have in front of my book, you know, everybody I work with their name because see, each book you're going to have like 400 pages. And I put a, everybody's name that I work with and the page they appear. So I have a quick reference, you know, I can go back so I won't go uh, summon through a loss, you know, trying to find what they said or, or what they did. But like I said, you're right, is to always, you know, document, you know. That, that's how I would have handled that. And I think there's one more other thing that I had. And you're right because, and oh, yeah, about the handbook, the employee handbook. I have noticed that Gus was saying, I agree. But one thing I've learned about that handbook, when white people violate that handbook and you bring it up to personnel, they don't even care. It's like that handbook doesn't even exist. You know, I, I've seen them do that. You know, it's like you, you like when um, I remember years ago when a white female came down there and was yelling and screaming and I went and referred it to the handbook. And personnel was like, what handbook? You know, that's the kind of attitude they had. Um, um, and I think that's all I have. And, oh, yes, one last thing. And somebody always told me on these jobs, we as black people, we never move up. We always have to move out. And I'll mute my line. Other folks uh, who dialed in more recently, if we have not heard from you, uh, do you have comments, observations you want to share? I think everybody who dialed in with a hand up should be with us. Is, is anybody on the line that we have not heard from? Anybody dialed in who has a hand up that we have not heard from? Okay, I will assume that we got everybody. Do not uh, dally. Go ahead and get your hand up if you have comments that you uh, would like to share, either your own experiences or if you have commentary on something that you've heard from 
uh, folks thus far. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I added in as well. I suspect this why I mean, white people are really treacherous on these jobs. It would not surprise me at all if the white the situation where uh, the white female wanted uh, the black female to do this uh, prepaid uh, invoice for ten thousand dollars or what have you. It would not surprise me at all. If I mean, yeah, she was saying that this uh, white man that she likes and she wants to hook him up so he gets his money or whatever the case. But it would not surprise me at all uh, if she did this sort of thing uh, so that it would get this black female in trouble uh, because this is not going to come back on her. It's going to come back on the black female. You're the one that signed the paperwork uh, on this. She said, whatever. This is against policy. You know, this is a violation of our typical protocol. Why did you do it? Why didn't you check in? Uh, with the supervisor or ask somebody else or blah, blah, blah. It would not surprise me at all if she did this deliberately uh, to cause this black female some problems. Uh, that's something to keep in mind, really, for all of us to be mindful, because I think that happens a lot. We've been talking about sabotage, where white people encourage or request that you do something on a job that they know is a violation of company policy and procedure and they do not forget about the manual when a black person has done something that is in violation of the policy they go by the book then like oh that is about page 52 uh rule 59a section d i mean it's going to be exactly by the book this is going to be the write-up and blah 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 and all of that to get you out of there. So keep that in mind as well. Uh, when these sort of things happen, do not be afraid to ask questions. And if it seems like it is a deviation from the standard policy and procedure on the job, do not be afraid to ask questions or even take a moment to say, I want to just make sure that I'm looking at the manual, our rules and regulations to make sure that what I am doing is correct in terms of what we're supposed to be doing on the job. Uh, also, we had an Owen oh, about the documentation. I'm not sure because she wrote in. She did have some of the sections that I wrote. Some of these were in exact quotes in terms of what people said and did. So it seems like she may have uh, done some documenting uh, about all of what was said. I don't know if everything was uh, verbal correspondence or if there was some written, some emails going on or what have you. But, yeah, documentation is always highly recommended just so you can have an accurate record of what was said, what was done, date, time, all of that. Very important. Uh, we had another person who wrote in uh, since we've been on live uh, workplace racism. He said, uh, when I worked two years ago in a probation camp, the white male supervisor always kept the same schedule for staff week to week. So I usually had an hour and a half break from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Fridays. I would take and have group talk with a group of young black and non-white, non-black males, quote unquote Latinos. We would discuss history. Olmec Culture, Dr. Ivan Van Sertema, current events, and listen to Freedom Now, KPFK. As my group participation grew, the white male supervisor started adjusting my schedule so I couldn't have my group. He started making my schedule shift really difficult. We worked a 56-hour shift like a firefight. He tried to make it so I was too tired to do my group. I was really confused about his issues since I was doing what a probation officer is supposed to do, rehabilitate, have small group sessions and reunify the young male with family and community. But now I understand more since I came across the program that is racism, white supremacy. You are not supposed to be doing anything that is constructive uh, that is going to benefit victims of racism, non-white people. They're going to sabotage that like immediately. Uh, and just be aware, I think even other folks have commented about similar things that they've experienced on the job. Uh, other folks have uh, commentary, uh, questions, things that have stood out they wanted to share? 
Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, um, I wanted to make a comment. Um, both for the, the two people said, one was, um, you know, put in an email form and, and write everything, and the other one was, um, he said, get a book and write it down, a little diary. You know, I think that um, you know, sometimes I, I used to do this when I was in a position where, you know, you had to document things to protect yourself, is I would email myself um, and keep a record of it that way. Um, got a time stamp, got a date, you know, and and that was, you know, pretty good. Um, as for um, white people following policies, I haven't seen any of that, any of them that do that um, at any workplace I've ever been on. Uh, they write a handbook, you know, they, they follow it to a certain extent, but only some fine, fine print in there. And, um, as, and what I've noticed, if you ever challenge them on the policy, they will retaliate. Um, you know, you pretty much might as well start looking for another job once you do that. I mean, my mom. Other folks have uh, comments, questions, observations. Uh, should be with us as well. Again, I think everybody who had a hand up should be with us, so shouldn't be anybody that we missed uh, who has a hand up. You should have the opportunity to speak. Yeah, one last thing, though. Um, you're right. As a black person, you are the perfect fall guy on the job. If anything happens and you're part of it, all the white people are going to scatter and just let you take the blame. That's all I have. while we're waiting to see if anyone else has commentary. Um, I did speak with Mr. Fuller uh, this week. I wanted to get his opinion because so many people last week and it seemed like I guess this year in general, people had talked about having issues with sexual harassment on the job. And I asked him, uh, he's, his recommendation was, and I even mentioned some of the specific incidents that people had mentioned here. Uh, so if a person, if you're a black female and a white person, white male, comes and unzips their pants uh, in front of you on the job. He said what he would do, ask them immediately, like as soon as the zip goes down, is this a part of what we're supposed to do on the job? And wait for their response. Write that down. Boop, boop, boop. And then he said, I would wait until whenever we have the next meeting. Uh, and hopefully, I would want that person to be present. The person that unzipped their pants or if they said something, whatever it is, I want that person to be present. He said they generally, when you have meetings, they generally wait for a Q&A session where you get to ask questions. Uh, and it might not even be about questions about whatever the meeting was supposed to be about. Anybody have questions about anything? Raise your hand. Yes, I have a question. Uh, just so that I can be clear about what is expected of us and how we're supposed to perform our duties here. Uh, if we're on the job and someone unzips their, unzips their pants in front of you, is that a part of our company practices procedure and just wait for the response and he says if they you know try to get alarmed like oh my lord did that happen and and who did that he said i would say explicitly i did not come here to indict anyone i just came to get clarity about is this a part of the policy procedures in terms of how we are to conduct ourselves 
while we are on the job and wait for their response. Invariably, they're probably going to say, no, that's not a part of how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. Oh, okay, good to know. Now, what is the procedure? What is supposed to happen if that is done on the job? An employee unzips their pants or whatever it is. They're saying, you know, if you see the van rocking, don't come a knocking and making these type of comments, state exactly what they said. What is the procedure to deal with that since that's not a part of our job, our workplace duties? And then they should outline it. You can have the manual present, too, to kind of go through and see if they have anything about this in the manual. But just wait and have them explain it. Okay. Boop, 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 and just write that down. And he said, that's all I want to know. And he said it's been his experience. That's why he said he would emphasize, I would do this with the person who did that present. They will stop on their own just with that alone. That's been his experience. Uh, because you're making it clear that you're being serious about this. You're not making an indictment. He specifically, I think he said this in the audio clip that I played at the beginning, but when I talked to him this week, he emphasized uh, that he would not make an indictment to really stay away from making indictments on the job because that shifts all of the burden to you. Uh, and exactly what Thomas just said about you probably going to be looking for another job because they're just going to say that you're a troublemaker and that didn't happen. And it'll, they'll just end up making it your word against a white person's word and you don't have any credibility uh, as a nigra. So they will just, you know, disregard whatever you have to say and keep it moving. But if you go that route where you're not making an accusation, where you're just asking what is supposed to happen, does this happen with everyone do we, uh, does everybody unzip their fly? The CEO, when they come in, I go and unzip my fly in front of them. Is that what everybody's supposed to do? If you handle things that way, he's seen where that works out in a much more constructive manner, where it doesn't cause you any extra problems, and it sends a signal up that you are being serious about how you conduct yourself on the job and how you address problems uh, on the job. And it's been his experience, as he said, that the person who's doing this, they will stop the behavior. You will not have that problem to deal with anymore. That's just been uh, the history of how things have worked out on the job for him. You know, that's like, um, after playing that clip earlier from Mary Fuller, it had me thinking, and which is so true that I don't, I haven't ever seen where you could prove that someone is practicing racism against you um, unless you got, you know, a tape of them calling you a nigger. It's like, has to be blatant, outright, you know. Um, what if you own the company and you are firing a white person for suspecting them of being racist and you're a black person? I mean, you can't even do that. I mean, they would probably sue you and win. I mean, it's really a lose-lose with that one, um, trying to call them a racist. And I think that what he said, I mean, that's really the only way. I've been thinking for years, how do you get away with it? And that's probably it, not, not indicting anyone. You know, um, just asking questions and um, seeing what the answers are, but not not saying, hey, you know, this person, you know, just outlining what was done and seeing how they would respond to that. You know, I think that's just an excellent um, counter-racist tactic. Yeah, I think that's great, too. I, I never would have thought of that. that's a great idea because if you go... And from what I've seen for years, if you go, and you're right, if you go make allegations at the person, you say, you know, I was sexually harassed, emotionally, uh, physic or physically harassed, or discriminated against, what usually happens, if you're the only black person and everybody's white, what tends to happen is that all those white people will just take up for that um, white person. 
you know, that you're making allegations against, and that opens you up for retaliation. You know, people, the whole company will go against you, but that's a that's a good idea that uh, nearly full of has. You know, I'm going to remember that one. Can I be heard? <clears throat> yes, sir. That is absolutely genius on <laughs> Mr. Fuller's behalf. Uh, and, uh, yes, I mean, it's just absolutely genius uh, it, 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 in, in, its, in its simplicity. Uh, and it goes right in line with uh, the, his ideas that uh, Mr. Uh, Edwards uh, did by putting it in, in the in the shape of that pamphlet about uh, how using the U.S. Constitution can can help you on your job because it does not it does not quote unquote indict any anybody uh, or, or accuse anybody of anything. It basically just states that that uh, I think there is uh, some it may have possibly been a violation of the U S constitution and blah, blah, blah. So it's basically the same, it's basically saying the same thing in a more personable way. And when it's out there in the open like that, I can just imagine about 20 or 30 people. That's why I was with, with me on the fire department. They would have these, these, what they call battalion meetings. And just like you said, it, it, it the, the, the particular subject, of sexual harassment may not even be the subject. It it would be a million miles away from uh, of sexual harassment. It it could have been about uh, insurance or something like that. So everybody can 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 uh, basically re re sign their their insurance uh, uh, policy and whatever. That's sort of like, and then all of a sudden the chief uh, uh, opens the floor, so to speak. Uh, on, on, and, and you say that wow. I mean, there's an old saying, well, I'm not going to say it because it's a metaphor. I'm about to say something about a rat pissing on cotton. But 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 you wouldn't hear nothing. It would be so quiet in that type of atmosphere when you, when you, when you make that statement like that. That alone, that alone, I think that's what Mr. Fuller said, that alone right there would that whoever whoever was the was the culprit in that in that in that particular case against you, I would say they would immediately stop, <laughs> immediately stop doing it because it's two people who know on who you're talk, talking about is yourself and that other person in that room, and uh, that's a, that's amazing. Wow, boy, look here, I, I kind of like wish I was still on the job so I can. So I can do that, get at somebody like that. But anyway, uh, thank you for listening. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, regarding what the firefighter, retired firefighter in Florida just said, that there would be two people in the room that would know what was going on, I think, and I could be really incorrect about this, that if this racist was uh, pulling down his pants and saying all of these things, very openly that he had the reputation for doing that. And I would bet that the entire room would know who that um, victim was speaking of because this individual is extremely comfortable with doing that. So, I mean, that's, I could be wrong about it, but I, I think that would be more than two people that might know about it. 
You may be right. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, I totally agree with you. Um, Jerry Sandusky, great example of that. People know. They know. So, wow, it was brilliant. I wanted to talk about, um, Gus, you brought up uh, accepting food from, from white people on the job. Um, yesterday, I had an incident where there was a, um, a nurse that works in the company with us, and she had some almond cookies. And she came to the desk where I sit with uh, three other coworkers, and she said she had four left. And she just gave them out. She didn't ask if you wanted them. She just basically gave them out and said, oh, these are the last ones. And, and I just sat there and I thought to myself, well, I always think whenever white people do anything, why are you coming here and why are you giving this to me? So I accepted it graciously. And as soon as she left, I threw it in the garbage. And then I started to think. And one thing I, I've, I've noticed at a couple of jobs when white people prepare food, um, and I don't know if other people might notice this, but sometimes if they bring more than one dish, they might direct certain people in the company to go towards specific dishes that they cook. And just from seeing footage of white people dipping their penises in people's drinks, spitting in people's food, um, putting their period blood on stuff, I mean, the kind of stories are disgusting. And it just makes me think, and I don't know if anyone else, if you chime in, if you've seen this, where pe white people would bring food to the job and direct certain employees to certain dishes that they make. Um, I believe because they do certain things to certain dishes and they want certain people to partake of those things so they can then talk about you behind your back and uh, basically laugh at whatever horrible thing they've done to you that you're not aware of. So I just wanted to throw that out there because you made, when you brought that up, you made me think about that incident yesterday and I do not accept a thing from white people. I barely can accept a hello. Thank you for taking my call. You're right. I never eat food for white people. I mean, when they make it, and two, it's a thing of control. Because I remember one time, white people in, at, at my job, they were brought in a whole bunch of food. And they had it, I guess, in the work area. And I went in there to get some files. And the lady asked me, oh, are you going to participate? Did you bring anything? I said, no, I'm not. And got my files. And, and went on, you know, and you're right. I don't trust, you know, anything, you know, that, that these white folks make at home. You know, it's, it's a control, you know, type of thing. They watch you. I just, you know, me and myself, I just stay away from it. You know, when they ask me if I'm going to eat, I said, no, I'm on a diet. I got it. I just come, hey, I'm, I'm, I don't want to ruin my diet. I just make up an excuse, get my file, keep it moving because I know, they, uh, you know, they got a, 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 it's a control thing, especially with white women. You know, they'll make a big issue, you know, if you act like you're going to get something and you don't bring nothing and, you know, some people, some white folks just fall apart. So I, me, myself, I just don't, I stopped doing that about years ago. I learned, you know, I just don't trust what they doing at home. You're right. I don't know where that food has been. I don't know what uh, who did something to it. I just I just don't uh, I, I don't participate. You know when they have their when they want to sit down and eat, I'm just nowhere to be found. With the uh, I'm done. I'm in my line. I was just gonna comment on the food and say that um yeah white people. 
I've gone to some of these people's houses, like um, might have had to drop off something at jobs, and I mean, I haven't been to any one of their houses that was um, tight, in my opinion. Um, they're nasty, uh, and they have a lot of pets, and Lord knows what they're doing with those pets. I just, I just really say, don't eat anything um, that they they cook at all. Um, they're disgusting. And uh, someone made a comment earlier about food, saying that the white lady would brag about cooking southern dishes. And um, usually when white women um, brag about doing things like that, um, I automatically assume that they're sleeping with black men. And um, I, I would bet that's why she has such a knowledge of um, southern dishes and things. Um, not from her black friends, but from probably her black black meat or or ex black black boyfriend's mother or something that, that taught her how to cook those things. I'll be my life. Thank As as uh some people may know, uh food and cooking is almost is it's a culture with the fire department. And uh uh Food is poisoned, uh, especially uh, it may come into disguise that, you know, uh, that person doesn't want you to eat, eat a nibble or eat off their food in the refrigerator. And so they would put, you know, something over it and, and, and tape it up and whatnot and, and put who it belongs to, that sort of thing like that. But uh, because of that, that uh, negative uh, nature that exists, with the uh, fire department, and I would say probably just about everybody's fire department where there are non-white people on it, is a you know level of hostility that that involves. Uh, I've made I've made it my choice not to not to participate in the uh, the cooking process. I w- I would get my own food and cook it, and and that's it. Uh, I made I made that uh, determination uh, through three fourths of my career. Uh, there, the only time where I felt comfortable is I think I've mentioned one t- one time for about a year uh, on a shift we had. Uh, uh, everybody was black on that shift except for except for one of the officers, I believe, the rescue uh, officer, and uh, it wasn't it, and it wasn't just uh, uh, six black people who didn't know each other. We actually. Uh, dealt with one another on a, on a social political basis when we were off duty. So we had a level of trust amongst one one another. So we would take turns cooking uh, for each other, you know, that sort of thing like that, which is also as a broader tradition with the fire department. But once I left that situation, it, it, I, it, not only did I did not cook uh, or, or eat meals from somebody else's cooking, I, I would I would I would state in front of it whoever wanted to know that uh I'm not cooking for anybody on this job and uh would just get my own meals to whereas even now today I, I I I don't like to if I even go to a restaurant, which is very rare, I don't go to somewhere where I can't I don't feel comfortable to go somewhere where I can't see them cooking the food. Uh because of all of those experiences that I had on that job. But uh Anyway, thank you. 
to add on to what Thomas from New York was saying about um, the woman who, uh, the white person who was cooking food and um, uh, probably sleeping with black men, um, I just wanted to say that that uh, and, and she was also referred to as being um, a parasite by uh, another uh, male caller. I just wanted to say that that vampirical, um, psychotic uh, behavior, where they uh, where a white woman uh, wants to be a black woman, um, in that she wants to cook like the black woman, she wants to sleep with the black woman's man, uh, she wants to actually just be that black woman, um, and then turn around and turn on the, turn on that black woman. Um, in um, white academia, in um, the area of psychology, that is labeled being bipolar, and white women get the biggest golden pass in all areas of people activity for being bipolar, from my experience, especially on the plantation. That's all I had. I'll meet my line. Anybody? I don't think they being bipolar. I think they just being racist. I say. A racist bipolar. <laughs> we, uh, there was a uh, oh. Proceed, proceed. Oh, I, I was, I was, I was just going to uh, state that uh, I had the experience of having a uh, a white female supervisor who used to talk about her having problems, a quote-unquote problem of being bipolar. And what I, since, since that was, uh, that information was given to uh, the public at the station at the time, every time I, she would show up to, to work, although she wasn't the permanent supervisor, I would uh, ask her out loud, uh, did you take your medication this morning? <laughs> As far as a reminder, uh, 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 and it kind of like set the stage on how the how the shift would go. Uh, that's the only thing I wanted to add to that. It just reminded me of that. Thank you. Uh, caller at five nine nine two. Did you have commentary? Five nine nine two. Yes, I have. Um, oh, good evening, everyone. I've been I've been listening to everybody, and you know just. So it's unfortunate we have to work for these people. But I just want to share an experience that I had about four years ago. Um, I got hired for this. Um, it was a day shelter for women, black women, um, who had experienced trauma and they had drug and alcohol problems. For me, the job wasn't hard because um, I did a lot of clinical psychology, like, you know, uh, discharge treatment, working, you know, committing people, things like that. So this job didn't require that. It was really quite effortless on my part, but the money was very good because um, all we had to do pretty much is feed them and uh, counsel them and, uh, you know, put them in groups, this type of thing. Now, my staff was not, none of them had a degree. So they couldn't do therapy. They could only counsel these women. So let me just, 
take a step back here. When I got when I got interviewed, this what really struck me. When I got interviewed, first I got hired by the racist white woman and her coon. And then they said, okay, now you got to be interviewed by the staff. <laughs> okay. And then I had to be interviewed by the female client that they were serving. So I went through all of this, you know, with them. Okay, fine, I got hired. Okay. Now, during the course of me working there, because I was on a six-month probation, so what, what, what started to happen was I noticed that just about every day after I leave, after I leave the, the, the work site, because I was on, um, it was an off-site um, uh, building that I worked in. In other words, I didn't work in the main office building. Okay, so, and I would notice that they would always congregate or always stay behind when I, I was the first one to leave at 5 o'clock. And then every day, this, this the lady over me, which was the coon, she would always come to me and say things that the staff had uh, said about me, something negative. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, well, um, you told them to leave at 5 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, because that's what the director told me to tell them. And then one time we were sitting in the meeting, and uh, one, of the, one of my supervisees said, Oh, yeah, and, and Martha said she's going to evaluate me. <laughs> and the coon is like, that's what she's supposed to do. So, in other words, my staff did not have any experience at all. I don't know how, I think they've been there for, you know, a few years under this under this black female that I'm calling the coon. But they never really had to really do anything. They didn't know anything about trauma. They didn't know anything about substance abuse. And they didn't even know how to take the notes. And I was trying to teach them all of these things. But everything I did was an issue. So I had to go to the main office and speak to the director, you know, the, the white racist woman. And I started telling her, I said, you know, what was going on. In the meantime, the coon was at the meeting, too. And I'm telling her that I can't do my what are job. You, what is it that you're calling this, this black female supervisor? I'm not, uh, it's just. Well, the, the, one, the one who was supposed to be over me, who was a black female, she, she was a Miss Sambo. And the, and the white woman over us, she was a white racist director. Are you saying are you saying that she's a coon? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Oh, okay. Hang on, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. I have I have said this before. Uh, the name calling of black people, I do not tolerate that on the context of white supremacy at all. Uh, I think I have been very clear about that uh, over the years, and I think I stated uh, at the beginning of last year any further name calling of black people uh, on the cows. Your speaking privileges are gone for the day. Uh, we do not do the name calling. I'm very serious about that. That does not help solving any problems at all. Uh, name calling other black people, uh, that's something that I'm trying with all the power that I have as a weak victim of racism to discourage that. Uh, I know we get frustrated with other victims of racism. That's typical uh, under the system of racism, white supremacy, but name calling other black people, that just doesn't help solve the problem. And if anything, for all the people talking about the impact that Dr. Francis Cress Welsing had uh, on their understanding of racism and Dr. Welsing meant a lot for them, that's one thing. I wouldn't care when you heard Dr. Welsing, if you read her book, if you heard her one time, I'm pretty sure that she said something about not name calling other black people. I know she said that every time she came on this program, all 31 times. That's one small step that we could make that would have a big impact on dealing with racism, white supremacy, not 
mean calling other black people. Very easy step, but that is something I've said before, and I'm making every effort to be consistent about that one. No name calling black people on the cows. I would hope that we're carrying this practice forward beyond the cows, but at minimum, get your name calling in before you get to the cows, and then no name calling of black people on this program. You do uh, lose your speaking privileges for the rest of the broadcast on that. You can certainly call back in future programs and participate. But no name-calling of black people on the cows. Thank you kindly uh, for folks. And that even goes back to what came up earlier in the program where I said the frustration that we express with other black people that are in, quote-unquote, supervisory positions, where that has been a trend on this broadcast for years. Uh, And it used to be that would be the whole workplace racism segment would just be us articulating frustrations about black supervisors on the job, uh, where I believe that was one of the callers in New York where she brought up Carter G. Woodson. I've noted that as a trend. And again, I say it again, I am sure that there are black supervisors who are doing incorrect things and practicing anti-blackness and how they deal with black staff members. But I certainly also think that some of that problem is our own anti-blackness and how we just have a problem with a black person that is quote unquote in charge. And I will just state again, the people that are in charge, regardless of titles, are all white. And I will conclude there. Other folks have, if I'm talking crazy, if I'm not making sense, you can feel free to let Gus know. If other folks have commentary, feel free to share. Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. Uh, I can put it right back on um, the white supremacists. Uh, there, there was a incident I had a couple of years ago where, like, I was, I would say, um, more confused, and I hadn't really picked up on the cows yet. I nearly fuller, and uh, for times where I would get into, <laughs> uh, I guess you can say, just little arguments or just um, maybe disputes, maybe with like the supervisor or like some of the other uh, white coworkers. And it was, it was one question. I'm trying to remember how it started, but I guess it was about how uh, after the civil rights movement or something and the welfare uh, agenda came up about how the black man was taken out of the home. And now this guy's he's telling me all kind of stuff. And he, well, he kind of like led to talking about, and then I said something about, uh, like, how black people been conditioned to be in that, uh, like, a certain environment called the, the so-called projects. And then for some reason he got up, <laughs> he got upset and he said, uh, are you trying to say, man, are you trying to say everything the white man thought? Like, that's what my boss had, he had asked me, and, you know, white people around. And I was saying, like, I never said that, so I don't <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You know, he get kind of upset, but it's almost like he knew, you know, what was done to uh, black people and all kind of discussions about the the CIA and uh, drugs being sent to uh, black populated areas. It's like he knew he was very informed about this stuff. And since Muhammad Ali had passed, he was like, I think that's what he was talking about one time. Cause see, then he, he seems to want to talk about black athletes. And he was saying like, yeah, you have, you have some, some athletes that'll talk about slavery that happened 150 years ago. And, uh, 
he was he was talking to a white person in the break room where he says because they were talking about commercials and how I guess how uh, how I guess uh, revealing they can be or how offensive they can be. And he said he went into that story where he called up Nike because it was a, a commercial where it was I, I, he said it was Scotty Pippen in the commercial and he was uh, uh, showing that he was more skilled than the white basketball players and talking footage from the old days with white players and the more dominated NBA league with more black players. And he said he wrote the company saying that, well, you know, I think this, I think this commercial is racist. Now, this is what, you know, because I was asking him about it, because he liked to kind of say that, you know, the victim of racism, but these are all, like, profoundly weak examples. And he said, yeah, this commercial is racist, and I'm a, I'm a white person, and I play basketball, and I even play basketball better than some people of color. <laughs> so, you know, he just he just constantly trying to, uh, state his case like he a, a so-called victim. Yeah, he he brags on you know being connected to knowing the person who has uh, I guess the highest rank in the company, and people making reports about the things he say to them. Even other white people, they're going to make reports on them. He says, oh, you know, I've said a lot of things over the years, and basically saying you know they'll get in trouble for it. So, you know, I know this person, and if he were to leave, then that'd be another thing. So, like, they'll constantly contradict themselves, and, you know, they have these connections, but say that, oh, you know, since they're white, you know, I go through this and that. So it's just, like, a, much a waste of time, I guess. But I guess he might be trying to do it to get me to give an opposing. I'd still ask him questions. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much all I had. Asking questions, always phenomenal. Best way to handle things. And that that's another one, too, even though I definitely uh, stick by what I've said for years in discouraging talking about racism on the job. And this, this sounds like a situation where he brought it up. But uh, certainly that is a great time to ask questions. Uh, always A+. Plus. What's your definition of racism? <laughs> if uh, such a, a charge uh, is made in terms of what this what this guy said, um, I would just be interested his all his commentary about the racism that black athletes face and yada yada yada. Or I guess white athletes. I guess he was saying that you know there's there's racism and people saying that black uh, white people can't play basketball and he could play basketball as well as a black person. All of that is just you know entertaining <laughs> I would take note of on the job and maybe have some good questions to ask. And like, if I could add another piece of it, like uh, for some more context, um, he, he was talking about back when he was in the military, he, he played, um, like four black dudes on the court. And, uh, I said, Oh, I said, was, was it like a team game or like, you know, 21, he said 21. And uh, he said he beat all of them like three times in a row or something. And then <laughs> he said the, the black guys, uh, they, <laughs> they they went to the other court. They called them a, a honky and a cracker, you know. And I said, oh, so I said, I used the term name calling. I didn't say they were practicing racism. And he pretty much, you know, he said, yeah, he said, yeah, they were name calling. And then he said a, a bigger black guy. 
came and got on this team and you know they pretty much started <laughs> i mean like you know i was kind of laughing like he ain't seen you know bothered by it, you know but i was laughing about it you know and i'm like you know they're calling him honky and cracker so you know i was like oh that's it you know and i guess he trying to it seemed like is that that uh when i think about how how they you know the black athlete pretty much just you know it's like some kind of you know envy and jealousy there you know and even if i'm just talking about something else it'll be oh you know i don't i don't buy nikes and joys <laughs> i wasn't even talking about nikes man you know he i guess because i'm a black male you know he feels like he can project that onto me you know and uh yeah, he seemed to, to go into that kind of conversation. So. I just read an article. Sounds like he watched. Go ahead. Sounds like he watched White Man Kid Jump, and um, he put himself in that narrative. And um, I would definitely let him know that both Nike and Jordan are owned by white people. Oh, I have. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he knows this too. <laughs> that's that's yeah, the thing. See, he, he knows. Yeah. See, because you can't you can't tell me about the CIA and stuff like this. No, so they've done this to black communities, a, a black uh, location. How can you do that for And then you talking about a Nike commercial, and you have actions with how to uh, you know become a supervisor, bragging about. Oh, as uh, call. Oh, looks like he might have uh, got dropped. Uh, caller in Florida. Uh, if you dial back in, I'm sure uh, we can get him on the line. We are getting close to the three-hour limit. If anybody uh, we've missed, uh, we have not heard from you at all. If you have commentary you want to add, feel free. Uh, if we have heard from you and you just want to make sure you got your comment in uh, before we wrap up, feel free. Uh, if anybody, uh, if you have commentary about. Uh, frustrations with black supervisors uh, certainly feel free uh, if you have commentary you want to get in on that as well um, I wanted to chime in on what the brother was just talking about um, him saying all that stuff about how he beat the, the three black males and all of that um, to me it just kind of speaks to white psychopathology about their genetic inferiority that's why I kind of, I, I always laugh when I hear people talk about equality. White people will never be equal to us because we are genetically dominant. They understand that, and it's conversations like that that bring out that constant understanding deep-rooted in their, the, the recesses of their brain that they have these Freudian slips repeatedly where they basically tell on themselves. They know that they are not adequate genetically, and that, to me, is the primary basis of that conversation, and he was um, essentially trying to... Um, project himself as being dominant. And, and, and that dominance was not necessarily related to basketball. To me, it was more about, um, in his mind, trying to assert that he was somehow genetically dominant or genetically better than those black males. And that's all I wanted to chime in with. Thank you. And the funny thing is, this could have been like, he went to the court and played against a bunch of 12-year-old black kids, but it is my, you know, like, um, to me, like, they were 30, you know? That reminds me on, on, on when I was on the, the job, 
uh, there was this elderly uh, supervisor, lieutenant, who used to always share with me uh, stories about when he was in high school, how he was a football star. And I, I went to thinking about, you know, because this guy at the time was had to be in like his uh, uh, 60s or maybe early 70s. Uh, 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 and uh, I'm saying, well, the time when he was in high school and, and, and so-called starring as a high school football player, uh, they didn't play against uh, the uh, – the the black the black uh, 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 football players at all during that time. So how can he determ- make this determination uh, perceivably as though he's the best? He he was very good, and and uh, I brought that to his attention. <laughs> I brought that to his attention since he was having this conversation with me, and 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 then all of a sudden the conversation never took place anymore you know, on that subject, you know, but uh, just reminded me uh, of that. Uh, Ashe to the, uh, the, uh, the rule on name calling. Uh, I have made that mistake as I mentioned once, once before on the program to a uh, black male on the job that I was on and had deep regrets from it. A matter of fact, I saw him, I saw this this uh, non-white black male at uh, down down here. They they had they have this uh, major concert in the Miami Gardens area that's called Jazz in the Gardens, and he was working overtime. And uh, uh, I I I went to him then to remind him of it and tell him how sorry I was for for making that kind of. Uh, making that kind of uh, 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 statements towards him, you know, at the time. But he already, we already had to, had patched everything up, that sort of thing. But uh, I just thought I'd mention it before because I, I'm always, it, it just comes with my mind all the time as far as that concern. And it, it is, just like you said, it's, it's time-wasting. It actually, it's, you, it's, there's nothing that, that's beneficial that comes out of it. You know, uh, maybe, I guess maybe some brief temporary uh uh, sensation the the name caller may have uh, with the with the other black person, but definitely in the long run, there's nothing constructive that comes out of it, and it's one of those things that get chalked up as being a waste of your time and energy. Thank you. Regarding the name calling, and um, that's how you mentioned Dr. Welving always said that it's so. Is something that is so difficult for us as victims to be uh, uh, unconditioned or reconditioned to do. And um, I'm always reminded of sometimes I even look at members of the quote-unquote conscious community who uh, um, uh, always uh, uh, um, revel in Dr. Welsing's teaching in one breath, and name call in the same, I mean, within the next 15, 20 minutes of the black people regarding whatever topic they're talking about. So, I mean, you know, and they call them self-conscious. So, I, you know, who, who am I and, and who are all of us? I mean, it's something that really, really is so embedded in us, and it takes uh, lots of uh, 
practice and, and understanding and commitment to really uh, wanting to uh, be a committed uh, counter-racist to totally eradicate that behavior. And I myself am speaking of myself, so just wanted to say that. I know I agree 100% on what you're saying. I think we got the caller that was in uh, Florida who was commenting, had the situation, the white guy he was working with was talking about his athletic prowess in relation to uh, black athletes. I think we got him back. His call did drop. But you should be back with us, sir, if you want to continue. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, yes. Um, I think I was talking about that one time where, because we used to have meetings years ago, now we've relocated, like, our department. And, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even really be talking about anything related to sports, but you just feel the need, you know, kind of bring it up. And he'll he'll usually tell that story about the guys at the basketball court. But I'm like, you know, he in the military, he getting all of these uh, uh, ranking increases, and, you know, he telling people what to do. He even said that it was a guy that he actually had, um, believing that he was a supervisor, but like he deceived someone, and they were sweeping the uh, the ship deck or whatever. And the guy that was doing it, he was manipulated into sweeping, like doing the work. And the guy was like, "Oh, I thought you was the boss." And then he said, "No, he didn't say anything until, <laughs> until the guy mentioned it to him." And, you know, he, you know, uh, saying he playing all these pranks and jokes. Like, now this is in the same time. Well, he says he was in the service, you know, like the guy saying he needs to lose weight and then he's fiddling around with the scale and the guy, you know, looking at the same weight amount like a week or two later and the, <laughs> the guy saying that he had beaten anything, like he's saying all of these stories, you know. And then one, he said a black guy accused him of racism, that he didn't want to promote him or something. And he said... uh he said, no, that wasn't, that wasn't it. It's about work ethic or whatever. And, yeah, he pretty much will tell little stories or whatever. So I'll just pretty much just, you know, stay in that question lane. And uh, usually he doesn't really give any examples beyond that, what I just shared, really. And, uh, yeah, he'll say someone will accuse him of being racist or sexist or whatever. But based on other things he says, he has a lot of power and connections. If he's able to be in a supervisor position for years and years and people make complaints about him and nothing gets done, you know, hey, that's showing connection, you know, like you still have your job, you still getting paid, you know, still driving nice cars, you know, living, the, uh, you know, the, um, the, the white life, I guess. You know, he's still dominating. He's still part of the white collective. You know, I don't, I don't see any uh, pain and suffering. You know, I just see him uh, practicing racism pretty much. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Racism pays, for sure. For sure. Uh, anything else, folks, want to make sure they get in before we... Uh, Wrap up. Pretty much did our uh, full three. Anybody things they want to get in before we wrap up? Yes, sir. Um, Gus, I just wanted to uh, echo some of those previous statements and say 
Um, thank you so much for addressing um, not bad-mouthing and name-calling of the black people. I think that is one of the most important aspects of the show. Um, I think because um, sometimes we, I think for just most people in general, we don't like to think that we're not in control of our daily existence, whether it's the things we like, dislike, the things we do. And if once you start to really understand the system, you realize that we have been conditioned. And I always tell people, study Pavlov, the, the study of Pavlov with the dogs. That is how black people have been trained. We have a Pavlovian. It's like an automatic response um, that tends to go in concert with white supremacy as far as anti-blackness. And um, like, like the sister said, that's one of the hardest things to fight through and to combat because it's such an automatic thing. Um, so definitely I'd say big up to that. And, and um, it's, it is a lot of work to actually do so. And you have to be very conscious at all times and self-analytical. And that's what I found has been helpful for me is trying to be a self-analytical. Why am I doing this? Why am I thinking these things? The same way, like I said earlier, when I was discussing the food thing, when that white woman came and dropped that cookie on my desk, why are you here? And immediately I just said, I don't know what you did with that cookie before you put it on my desk. So I'll smile on your face, accept it graciously and toss it. So I guess it's just putting out there, trying to be self-analytical, um, especially in situations that are uncomfortable dealing with other non-white people. Um, just to speak to Dr. Wilson and this program literally helped me to forgive my parents because I went through so much with them and I was mistreated so severely. And for a long time, I was a very angry black male. And it was literally listening to Dr. Wilson discuss the pathology of black people and, this, and the whole pathology of anti-blackness and understanding that we're not in control of our daily reality, even in some cases, our thoughts, words, and deeds. And I think that can help. So thank you so much again, Gus, and thanks to all the other calls and listeners as well. Ashe, Ashe. I can um, also echo those sentiments as Gus knows. I do um, have a tendency to share some anti-blackness, and it's very difficult. I fight with it every day. to not name call other black people. I, I find myself defending other black people to other black people, and it doesn't make the other black people too happy. But I try to rationalize and empathize and try to put myself in other people's shoes and trying to see things from how they're viewing the racism, white supremacy system that they're in. And so um, it's a struggle. You fight with it every day. But, um, I, I remember once I called in and I used the C word and um, just made that rule and um, stuck to it. And I, I taken that word completely out of my repertoire um, altogether because I don't see where it benefits us. And I try to keep constantly keep the focus on white people because I can always find a white person behind the black person that I got a problem with that's telling me what to do. And um, that's always who I try to focus on as well. That right now, that's what I'm trying to focus on, is trying to keep the focus on white people only. And um, hopefully those black people in those positions will come around and understand why they're doing what they're doing. And um, thank you for the show, Gus, and I'll be going on. For sure, for sure. Uh... I assume everybody's good. Last comment, everybody good? Can we get Nelly Fuller on, Gus? 
Uh, he, when I spoke with him on Thursday, he, uh, with his talktainment deal, folks know he has his uh, weekly program on talktainment, Mr. Inoharo, Kari Inoharo, who hosts that. He has been a guest on this program as well. Uh, he said that they have a, uh, what you call it, a handshake agreement. <laughs> He's supposed to be uh, just doing uh, that program. He does do Carl Nelson's show on w, uh, WOL, which is uh, terrestrial radio uh, that you can actually get. Uh, but he said that they have a handshake agreement that he's uh, exclusively doing that program, uh, although uh, he has broken that from time to time. He's broken that from time to time and come back on this program. But uh, he said at least for the time being he's just doing that. Uh, he said it is possible that he will uh, drop that and at some point be willing to, to come back on other uh, online radio programs, including this one. Uh, but for the time being, it's looking like uh, he's doing that exclusively, so we won't be able to get him back here. But uh, he, it does look like that might not be a permanent thing. So be patient, uh, and we'll see if uh, we can get him back in the future. Gus, have you spoken uh, to Dr. Cambon lately? I have not. I had that. That was on my list of things to get done uh, this week, and I failed. Uh, so I have not spoken to him. Uh, I should have spoken to him this week, but I failed in getting it done. I will, I'm trying to carve out time uh, within like the next, if not tomorrow, sometime uh, in the early part of next week to do so. Hey, Gus, I sent you a podcast that I came across. I think I, think I sent it to both you and Ross. And um, it's about um, the almost 400,000 missing black people. And um, I thought that the person on that podcast, um, the, the host is a white guy, but um, the, the black people who have an organization trying to find these missing black people would be excellent guests, and especially with the um, medical apartheid book um, that we're reading as well. Because um, where these people going? Mm, absolutely, good, uh, solid information, uh, and right on time. Uh, study session. I believe we're at number eight uh, tomorrow. Medical apartheid, phenomenal uh, book. Top ten easily. Might even be in my top five. I mean, I, I have just been uh, astronomically impressed. Uh, with the information in the book. It is rather depressing, but I mean, I would much rather have accurate information that, you know, might make me feel a little bit bad as opposed to someone lying to me and telling me everything is spectacular and wonderful and nothing could be further from the truth. You always want truthful, accurate information. And uh, I just think it is it is full of just absolutely tremendous, uh, pertinent timely information uh, that every single black person on the planet should know, even though it is focused on things that are happening in the U.S. But, I mean, it is it is just, it's astronomical, uh, really impressive work. Uh, Harriet A. Washington, Medical Apart. She does have other books, by the way. This is not the only book that she's written. She has a book, I think, that came out within the last year or so. So if people want to check out more of her scholarship, she would get two thumbs up from uh, Gusty Renegade. But that is tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific. And then we'll be here Saturday, the compensatory call-in. Uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we should also be here Monday and Tuesday. Monday, we will not be on at the normal time because our guest is a white person in South Africa, so it's a nine-hour time difference. I think we'll be on, uh, I think it's 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific Monday, uh, just to accommodate uh, his 
the time difference from him being in South Africa, but always a hoot to talk to white folks and particularly a white person in South Africa. Oh man, that should be grand. If you can call, if you have the ability to chime in live, please do so. We'll be here on Tuesday as well. Uh, Kathy Dang, she is a non-white female, quote unquote Asian female. Uh, she was one of the folks on the program I played uh, on Democracy Now! last month where they were talking about the Akai Gurley case. Uh, Peter Liang, the former NYPD officer that shot and killed Akai Gurley uh, back at the end of 2014. She was talking very bluntly, very accurately about racism, white supremacy, and emphasizing that black people are treated worse than anybody else uh, and that all non-white people need to be honest about that assessment when we talk about racism, white supremacy, as we try to solve this problem. Uh, one of the things that she said that stood out in my mind specifically was that uh, she said that non-white, non-black people are used to uphold the system of white supremacy. And I wanted to ask her, are there ways that she specifically has been used to do this? But she should be here on Tuesday, normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. But we should be on every day, I think, except for Sunday. We'll be here uh, for a while. So tune in. If you have questions, if something didn't make sense, you're confused, uh, you have a gripe, feel free to drop an email, untiljustice at gmail.com, untiljustice@gmail.com. at gmail. Uh, we're on Twitter at Until Justice. You can certainly hit the Facebook uh, group pages or my page specifically if you have commentary as well. Uh, but email untiljustice at gmail.com. Uh, huge thanks to all the folks for uh, participating. Grand uh, hearing everyone sharing their different experiences. And feel free if you want to write uh, your incidents of workplace racism. I will read them on the program and keep it anonymous if you don't want to you know, reveal any identifying information. Uh, thanks for everyone participating. We'll do it again next Thursday, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, with that, as I consistently stress, sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. Uh, we do not want to make the job of Daniel Holtzclaw, Darren Wilson, any other race soldiers. We do not want to make their job any easier than it already is. If you're going to be going somewhere in a vehicle, driver, passenger, even as a pedestrian, you do not want to be under the influence. You want to be able to make the best possible decisions when those flashing lights pull up beside you or behind you or whatever the case is. Uh, so you can keep yourself safe, uh, you and anybody that you might be responsible for. Buckle up if you're going to be in a vehicle. Uh, again, let's do everything we can to minimize contact with race soldiers. Uh, with that, we will catch you all in about 24 hours. Uh, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. I'll say it twice. We ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. Help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.